Right. It's, uh, it, it's, right. It says live. Just yeah. making we, sure we it's not. This is not the first time. <laughs> <laughs> not our first rodeo. This is modeling, man. You leave your feelings in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a brookie before. Okay. Can you enlighten us on what that is? Yeah. What is it's that? A, English, brownie, please. It's a yeah. brownie cookie. No surprise so, there. Jonathan Bananathan. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sounding groggy. Skel- uh, Skelford, tail model world. You can read mine because I'm a shit reader. <laughs> Whatever. We all love the accent. Gee golly, Willikers. <laughs> <laughs> well, football season's here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> am I here now? You're here now. That's a hot take for the posse. Welcome to episode 53 of the Triple P. We're excited to bring you another round of discussions, a bit of banter, as well as a great interview. JB and Scott had a chance to sit with our friend John Bryan, and you won't want to miss it. Speaking of Scott, he ain't here, but the rest of us are. Uh, JB, Ivan, TJ, and Grant have joined me, Doug, and we're ready to roll. Grant, how you doing? I'm doing good. It's uh you know, after a week of 112 degrees here in Southern California, it's uh, actually raining outside now. We have a storm hitting us finally. Uh, we got some modeling done, working on a couple of figures, uh, but overall, it's been good. Awesome. How about you, TJ? I'm doing well. Um, just getting some modeling done. A little disappointed. I was supposed to go to a show tomorrow in Pennsylvania with our friend Jackson, but I forgot I double booked myself and I had prior commitments to go to a concert with a good friend of mine. So I didn't want to back out on him just because I already paid for the ticket. So I'll have that going for me tomorrow and hopefully I can finish uh, one of the kits I was working on. Awesome. Ivan, tell us what's up. Uh, Not a lot. We're, we're experiencing a lot of rain and a lot of thunderstorms over here at the minute. It's it's delightful. The Mojo's slowly returned, doing a bit of work on a base that I'm doing for Machine and Krieger build using resin two-part water, which is which I found out gets extraordinarily hot. But I'll talk about that later. But um, yeah, just working on a base and slowly working away at some models. Cool. JB? Uh, doing well here. You know, we had the Tiger build along last weekend, which I'll talk about. And I think within the last couple of days, I've had a lot of work to do and not a lot of time, but I have had time to, for some retail therapy. So some packages are coming from Andy's and Sprue Brothers for some kits that I am super stoked about. The VT1-2, I know TJ picked one up, the double barrel uh, modern German thing. I actually saw the real one in Koblenz. So it's uh, really cool to see that in, uh, in plastic. So those get here tomorrow and I think I'm going to slam it over the weekend. Awesome. Well, I've managed to keep building while I'm here. Um, I have my son with his family live with us and they had a baby on Wednesday. So the house is nuts. There are now four children, including an infant in my home. And uh, that wasn't supposed to happen, but it's all right. We love them all. Um, But I managed to get downstairs into the, into the room at the bench 
every night and I'll talk a little bit more later about what I'm doing. It's, it's been a lot, it's been a hoot. Since we started the triple P just over two years ago, several more podcasts have joined us in the OG modeling podcast. If you want to tune in, head on over to modelpodcast.com. You'll find links to all of them. The Plastic Posse is sponsored by Tankcraft, makers of highly realistic aftermarket 3D printed tank tracks and 30 of a scale. Tankcraft Pro Tracks are as, as real as it gets. They're not just copies of previously produced model parts. The designs are based on real tracks that come from measurements and photographs. Once modeled one-to-one, they are scaled down to 35th scale, test fitted on all major brands. And we can personally say that these tracks are high quality and super detailed. Layer lines are practically invisible to the naked eye and cleanup is a breeze. Actually, there's no cleanup. Go on over to tankcraft.com. That's T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T.com. Your bench will thank you. Remember, Posse fans get 15% off their first order by using the code POSSE15 at checkout. A very special thanks goes to our Patreon supporters. They include our Deputy Marshals, Aaron Larson, Paul Burdett, Mark Ewing, Ted Kawahara, Brandon Gentry, Jonathan Bryan, Scale Model Hanger, Chris Toadman Hughes, Model Doc, Doug Reed, Greg James, Dan Noffel, Les Workala, B Colt1911, John Everett, John Anderson, Josh Book, Black Rifle Model Works, Thomas Bannock, Mark Bradley, Zach Peace, Joel Munson, Josh Orr, Eric Brubaker, David Brian Bridges, Ethan Idenmill, Jared Cowell, JC Osborne, Mike Talley, Steve Baker, Bruce the Model Noob, Jeremy Moore, and Rick Cooper. The Posse Foreman are, and if I screw up your name, I'm really sorry. John Colsonak, Toby Kane, Matthew Flegel, Damon Rigby. Ken McCollin, Papa Mike Charlie. Oh, that's pretty cool. Charlie McCain, Tim H., Robert Klein, Michael Lebrow, Greg Williams, J.A.K., Ash Whitehouse, Aaron Cook, Steve Matheson, Cody Kariski, David Bozeman, Previous Seat, Ian Bonner, Lee Fogel, Mr. Grizz, Rob Burnside, Martin Drayton, The Voice of Bob, Steve Schaefer, Steve Munzel, Matthew Johnson, John Vickis, James Stokes, Jamie Stokes, sorry, Craig Jacob, Mike Bird, Jeremy Elliott, Mediocre Age Modeler, that's pretty much all of us, Eric Doggish, Rick Lewis, Paul Wheeler, and Eric Semmelmeyer. And the Posse Outriders, Paul, Pete, Lynn, Pat, Daniel, Warren, Neil, Jackson, Robert, Brian, Matthew, David, Zach, Ashley, and Jamie. If you'd like to support the Triple P and become a Posse Outrider, go to patreon.com slash plastic posse podcast, where you can set up a recurring donation, which helps us offset the cost of bringing you the show. There are three tiers starting at just a dollar a month. All right. So speaking of Patreon, we had a little event last weekend and I'd love to talk about it. So over Labor Day weekend in the United States, I hosted a Tiger build along. So I will say and apologize to our listeners. It really wasn't what I intended it to be. Uh, at first, you know, the the onset of the, the project was like, hey, let's do a build along. You know, I'll videotape. It'll be step by step on how building the Tiger, you know, works. And, you know, everybody can be there and hang out and talk. Now, that said, after about the first seven minutes, it turned into something completely different, and it really just became a hangout, and we built the models. You know, there were there were a lot of people there. I think I counted 22 on Friday. That was our max number, and we can host up to 100 with Zoom, but I was really surprised at that many people. It was a lot of fun. You know, on Friday, gosh, there were some MVPs from the weekend. 
but we had a ton of Patreon supporters and friends stop by, you know, Zach and Grizz, MVPs, Mark Bradley, fantastic to have him along board. I think we were all jealous of his food that he was constantly getting delivered. The one night was ribs. Oh, so good. I about drove out to his house and stole it. In addition to that, you know, we had Eric Brubaker, another MVP for the whole weekend, chiming in and out throughout the days. We had uh, Dan Knopfel, his wife and son on as well, which was great. Scott stopped by. TJ was there. Ivan, and I'm sorry I'm listing all these names because I, I really think they should be listed. You know, John Everett, Doc uh, Anderson stopped by, Josh Orr, Josh Buck. The list goes on and on. Robert Klein, and you know, I'm sure I missed some people, but it was it was honestly a really great time. And I don't think I've ever spent that much time at the bench in that short amount of time. So we started Friday, and I think we went almost to Monday night. I, I was fortunate. I had an empty house. My only obligation was to a dog and cat, but it was, it was really fun. I mean, some of the nights it honestly, I, I was talking to Jackson about it. It really felt like nationals because we were up till, you know, one, two in the morning and just talking about models, building, having a good time. And I think what was great is we really got to know each other on a personal level. And that's why when I initially said we'd record it and share it, I'm not going to do that because, you know, again, we had a lot of personal conversations. We got to know each other a lot, uh, you know, family, background, profession, and that stuff, we're, we're just going to keep private. That doesn't need to be out there. And, but, but what we've learned is that this is something that could turn into something more with the posse. Uh, so definitely look out for that. You know, I made a post a few, you know, a few weeks back. Hey, would you be interested in a online type of club uh, and, you know, meetings at, you know, some frequency? I think there's merit to that, not only based on the responses, but also the activity that we had throughout the weekend, which was a ton of fun. And I can't wait to do it again. And that said, for Patreons, I will do some recordings and share them. In that case, it'll kind of be me one-on-one and I'll make sure it's pushed over. As we look towards these group settings, uh, it's just fun to get to know people. And I think we'll have a plastic posse hang more often than not. Yeah, I, I was only fortunate enough to join one night because unfortunately, mm-hmm. just it timed itself. It was the what the weekend I started work. I was going to say, so you got I, a job. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not, not, not talking about that. Um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry uh, to be I a doubter. I feel like I just blew up your whole world right there. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I was I was only fortunate enough to join one night, but that one night was extraordinarily fun. It, I think it tied itself in with the hotel bookings. Oh yes, for, which we'll talk about again soon. But <laughs> the, the feedback from the Tiger Build, I think actually it worked out better as just a massive group hangout than actually a recorded session. I think. I think this was much better. Like I said, people got to know each other, hang out. People who don't get to clubs, it's like this was a virtual club and it was amazing. It was a fun time. And like I said, till like two in the morning, your time sometimes. Yeah. What was really great is it it was interesting how the conversations matured. So, you know, the first Friday night, Friday afternoon, because we started around 6 p.m. Mountain and it was a little quiet. I did most of the talking and I think everybody was kind of just feeling it out, getting to know each other. But you know, some people jumped in, Mark Bradley, Eric Brubaker, uh, you know, Josh Buck, Josh Orr, you know, just, just putting themselves out there. And what happened was we just really became great friends. And what happened on Saturday, like I wake up, I turn on the Zoom, I say, hey, come on in, guys. And oh, one person I forgot to mention was Bruce. He was our Tiger consigliere over the weekend. And he is such a great guy. 
not only helped us out throughout the build, but references, was really able to share a lot of historical stuff around the vehicle. And it was just an overall great time. And Bruce was on every day too. So he's a super MVP. And I remember on Saturday, I'm like, okay, hey guys, the, the live's up. I'm going to step away. I actually met John and Brian Krieger for lunch at a barbecue joint. We had Colpar came home, jumped right back in. Same with Sunday and Monday. It's like toss it up in the morning. People come in and out, very casual. And I, and I think that's maybe something we'll do in the future where if, if, if the group of us can pick a day and just, again, throw up a Zoom, the listeners pop in and out whenever you want, say hi. And it's just building models. That was it. Yeah. Like I wasn't feeling sad enough that I had to be up at 4 a.m. for work on Sunday. <laughs> I get a video call from JB at Colpar Hobbies. That, that made me feel just amazing. <laughs> John and Brian and I wanted to say hi. We were there. We're like, you know who would enjoy this? Ivan, because he was here. He's he's been right here. We're standing in the footsteps of a of a great man. <laughs> so we'll definitely need to do it again. And and you know it, what was fun about that build too? We did out of the box, and then some people took it to the next level. Jackson being one of them, three D printing parts, literally designing parts sending files to people, printing them that night. Bruce did the same. So thank you to both of you gentlemen. It just shows, I think, the strength and sense of community that the Posse has. And we're, again, very thankful. And we look forward to doing it again. And I think there's a lot of merit and a lot of... uh, a lot of positive things that came out of it and something, like I said, we'll definitely, definitely do again. And then maybe Ivan, you know, on your side of the the world, you know, host a European hang sesh. So the times are more conducive to people. Yeah, uh, that's a good idea. Because it's amazing how many people in the UK and Europe and going towards this side of the, the planet support us. So it'd be it'd be a shame to have them miss out. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely look at hosting some normal timed hangouts. Yeah. And, and two more people I got to throw out that jumped in. Brian Krieger, special shout out to him. He gave us a history on Mac lesson one night, which was absolutely awesome. I think we could have recorded that and packaged it and sold it because it was so great. And he was going through his archives of photos. So I certainly learned a lot. And maybe maybe that's what we should do is have him back on. And then another person, we had the Sam Dwyer on from the book. Ooh. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. 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 He was there. He was there working on his Samoa. <laughs> Oh, so, he's probably finished. Yeah, yeah, it's probably yeah. done. <laughs> Hashtag mini group build. <laughs> Somewhere over the rainbow. Somewhere six. <laughs> Somewhere I belong. <laughs> For those that don't know, uh, we're doing a mini group amongst ourselves of just a Samoa, a friendly banter. Uh, it's me, Ivan, Grant, TJ, Sam Dwyer, the Sam Dwyer, my apologies. Hey the Sam Dwyer and uh, Doc Jonathan Anderson. So look out on our socials for that too. Just jovial. If you want to build along, go for it. Uh, no pressure. Uh, super fun. And I will probably take mine to Telford to meet Ivan. Ooh. You know, every time you say the Sam Dwyer, I can hear his response to you. Yeah. <laughs> Just can't say it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> this is a Keep G it show. Keep it clean. Jackson will gladly say it. <laughs> he doesn't care. <laughs> oh man enough of me i'll kick it over to tj all right so with that i'm uh we'll do a, a brief uh rundown of what's happening over in the mock hey, uh group build group on uh, facebook as of today which is september 9th we have 174 members and there's a lot of awesome work going on a lot of people are getting stuff built a lot of people are still collecting their kits which is cool um, one guy, Joel Munson, one of our Patreon supporters, he just posted a couple hours ago 
he's trying to decide between the ra- raccoon and the kraken vogel and so hopefully he goes with uh the kraken vogel because no one's built one of those i have one and i love that thing i know john's not a big fan of that the new spider design which the kraken vogel is is based off of it's a new spider with six rocket launchers instead of little spindly arms they're really cool i have one i really want to build it because they're neat uh yeah it's been uh pretty cool my cat is meowing i don't know if you can hear that he's making another uh a guest star <laughs> cameo um, behind the door chirping and meowing because he wants in here but yeah so it's, uh, it's going really well um i finished uh my first build for the group build uh i think may i maybe the last time i recorded i don't remember is the leopard um it's really cool so yeah check it out come join build I've some decided, yeah i've decided with that build i'm not starting a new one until i book my flights so when <laughs> that is i don't know that's my challenge to myself <laughs> They're so easy to build. You might as well just build one now and then build another one. I know yeah. you have a couple. Yeah, yeah, a few. I'm going to kick quite. it back over to John. All right. So back to me as if I didn't talk enough already. So this is the Vegas show we're going to briefly discuss. It was an absolute blast. Talking about staying up till three in the morning. Well, I got up at three in the morning to go to the airport and it was literally a, I think I was out from my house for about 30 hours. So left at three in the morning, returned at noon on uh, the next day. So it was a blast. Flew into Vegas, Scott and uh, his buddy from Utah, who I knew in Cleveland, Ohio, John Vitkus picked me up from the airport at 7 a.m. We went to breakfast and then we went over to the Orleans Hotel, which was an absolute stellar show. I think they had a little over 800 models there and had the opportunity to hang out with another co-host of mine, Grant, who made the trek from the opposite direction. And he came over with his buddy and it was just a blast. You know, I think the highlight of that show again is the people, the models, uh, the vendors circled the hall. It, it was really an incredible uh, an event. And, and the IPMS Las Vegas folks have a lot to be proud of. Incredible raffle. I mean, some of the best work I've seen in a long time. Grant, the, the, the thing that sticks out to me again were those like goblins or whatever they were, the orange things. The paintwork on that, world yeah. class, world expert yeah. class. Yeah, that was that was that was Golden Demon class. That was Warhammer. I think it actually was in Golden Demon. I've been looking at it. I, I don't know. It's a it's a goblin or orc thing, and it's just beautiful. It was just just beautiful paint. There's some pictures posted on both of our sites that went out, so it's just fantastic. Yeah, and you know, one other thing I'll mention at that show, some of you may be seen, but we're starting to hand out. Uh, community coins. So we have plastic posse coins. There was a soft launch at the IPMS nationals and we gave out a few and we're starting to ramp up to send them out to our supporters and special guests and people that really uh, embody the spirit of the posse, but more importantly, the hobby. And we saw, found some really good folks in Vegas that we felt that they deserved a coin. And you know, one of them is, is Bruce, who is a close friend of the podcast now, really got to know Ivan at the IPMS Nationals and just a super, super nice gentleman. You, everyone sees him post online. He goes by Bruce Hazami, I believe, and former Hollywood scale model maker, now he's turned, he's retired. He has these incredible uh, work in progress f- uh, folders. I'm talking like hundreds of photographs down to the minutia of his dioramas, of his builds. He catalogs them all. He talks about the hours worked. And then he's just a super nice gentleman in person. And he, again, it was super nice to meet him again. He loves Ivan. I wish Ivan was there to share in the, uh, in the joy. And we took a selfie to send to you, Ivan. It yeah. brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> yeah. 
He was also a uh, Ravel artist in the 70s. That's right. On box art. And I actually got one of his kits there from one of the vendors that had him autograph it for me. It was that was fantastic. I mean, he did some great work. Yeah, yeah. And and a few other people we saw, uh, Angel from Microworld Games, Steve Munsell, he was there, you know, with the value gear stuff, which was great. He made the trip up from, from Arizona. So again, another great West event. Vegas boys have a lot to be proud of, a lot of fun. And then the evening as well, hanging out with Hank and his family, other members of the posse there at a nice dinner. And again, I think we rubbed it into you, Ivan. Did we send you all dessert photos? At, at yeah. Like, yeah. Sorry about that. Not sorry. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Hashtag loser. <laughs> so i understand that they had a lot more entries than they expected yes that's true yes i wow. think they were probably i'm guessing expecting around 500 but they had over 800 i think i know it was very close to that and yeah. you know the show organizers god bless them you know the line was long but again you're there with friends they know what they need to improve on and they'll get there and one of the things that I thought that was great too about the show is they started to pass out feedback forms. Now, I think that's great. With that comes, you know, a, a manpower requirement, a resource requirement to support it. But I think it's I think it was a great step to show that, you know, some some clubs are progressive and they're trying things out. And and that was really great. I actually took a photo of it, looked pretty simple. I did not judge. I actually went to lunch with a few folks. Grant, I you went well, yeah, we went. We went and caught yeah, up. So, uh, but you know, next time certainly I'll step up to judge because I think they'll need it uh, based on the the amount of the, the attendance there. And then at the end, somebody was fire sailing dragon kits, and I got a L seventy and a two thirty four dash four for twenty bucks a piece, which is practically free. And that's where Ivan shed another tear. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I'd like to bring up a couple things too, John, about the show, which was which was great. I mean, first of all, um, what I liked about Joe and the group there is they brought in every group in the Los mm. Angeles, in the Las Vegas area. So they had a Gundam group, the car groups, I mean, amps. figure group, amps. And, then, and each group judged their own category, basically. So Gundam guys judged their Gundams, amps judged armor, car guys judged car. And it was just, it was a fantastic way they ran that and way they're bringing in every group or in their area for their show. And another really cool thing about it is everybody, all these organizations were putting coins or ribbons or, or things down for the what models they like the best. So you would walk around and you'd see a coin from AMP, so it looked, which is actually really cool. I've got one somewhere, but it's a it's a poker chip. Yeah, there it is right there. Yeah, you can't see that. Of course, we're just, we're podcast, but that's, it's a it's a poker chip and it's really cool. It's got the AMP emblem on it and everything. Now the car group guys had some things, the, you know, the figure guys, and it was just a fantastic way they brought everything together. And, and you know, my, hand, my, my head is off to those guys. They had a great organization organization and the show was really really fun and it was really a good time it was, I, you know I, I know Scott and JB and I had a, a great time meeting some great people we met some patreon people that were brand new to the group I probably butchered your name tonight but you know it's it's you know we had a great time and it was so much fun to see the interactions of and, and, and the other groups were talking to each other which was nice it was it was really a good environment. Yeah, hands down, all around a great show. And speaking of other shows, I'll be heading over to Salt Lake to see Doug and Scott and a few other people. Uh, Steve Baker is going to make the drive with me and potentially Brian Krieger as well. And we'll be over in the Salt Lake region for that IPMS show on the 24th. I'll be arriving in the afternoon of the 22nd, and we have a full deck planned for uh, some car restorations, Hill Air Force Base, and a few other sites. So, and again, another great trip. I can't wait. And Ivan, just fly over and just stay. Just hop on a plane, man. We'll make it work. Just do it. 
Just do it. I mean, it's things fine. don't cost money. Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. You can live in my basement. It's fine. <laughs> you're claiming asylum. Your 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 territory is yeah. I've already been applying for jobs over there. Don't get me wrong. Speaking of over there. Ivan, tell us about the big event over there. The big event. The big one. The Nationals. Um, in 64 days, we have Telford Scale Model World. The big one in the UK. Uh, this is our biggest show. Unfortunately, we've not had many updates. Usually, we start to see them around early August. We start getting updates around timetables, prices, competition categories, entry forms, traders, floor plans, things like that. Now, I know there's a lot going on behind the scenes. The Nats takes a lot of planning and a lot of scheduling. There's a lot going on. Unfortunately, there's been a delay in getting stuff out this year. The trader list for 2022 has been released, but it is not a set in stone list yet. It is a fantastic list of traders. Many of them are EU traders, but they have confirmed they won't actually be in attendance. So that list, like I said, is very fluid at the minute. But we are back at full capacity. We will be having all three halls back open again. We do have overseas IPMS att uh, attending. So this is all really good news. It's really positive. It shows that the show should be back to what it was, 2019 levels, possibly, which would be incredible. And I'm just really looking forward to it again. Can't wait. I've been trying yeah. to... I'm, I'm, I'm going to take Scott. I'm going to drive over to Utah and just throw him just in the grab car. Him. Just grab him. <laughs> just, just grab him and don't let go. You're coming. So, no, I can't yeah, wait. It's going to be awesome. It's one of those shows that many say should be a day longer. There's there's a lot to cram in in that one and a half days. You might as well call it half day. It's only six hours on the Sunday. There'll be the remembrance moment at 11 o'clock on the Sunday where they bring the brass band in. It goes quiet. It's, it's a very nice moment, but it's a show that I feel should be maybe a day longer because there's a there's an awful lot going on. But yeah, we've got that on in 64 days from recording uh, 11th till the 13th of November, if I remember correctly. Can't wait. Can't stop, oh, it, won't stop with shows. It's going to be, yeah, like you said, just just if you can get to a show, get to it. Just yeah. get there. Sweet. All awesome. right. You guys ready for some social media shout outs? Let's do this. Cool. I found, I was looking online for dioramas because I'm looking for diorama ideas, base ideas for uh, armor because I'm now an armor builder apparently. And I found this guy, it's JH Modelator on Instagram. He does dioramas. He has this really cool one. He did a uh, a Viking ship cresting a wave in a storm, and it's it's gorgeous. It's really really cool what he was able to do. And and he also did a really cool uh, the uh, Razor Crest for Mandalorian being lifted out of the water. I assume from episode episode uh, three of season two of Mando. He doesn't have the the Adat crane. On it, it's just uh, it's just the the razor crest itself coming out of the water. Very very cool. Whole bunch of other stuff. I highly recommend checking him out. There's another one. I'm not sure if this is up most people's alley, but I really kind of had a good time watching it. He is it's Tom's modeling in motion. He's got he's got YouTube videos, set of music, and he basically it was like watching Gumby and Pokey as a kid, claymation, except he's putting models together, and it's like you, you see them kind of flow together. All kinds of different things. He does wooden ships. He's got uh, plastic. Plastic uh, models. He has a great uh, Zukimura F4 build that he does, and uh, it was really, really fun to watch. 
seriously, uh, if you if you and they're they're short. If you're interested, give it a look. I don't know if it's up everybody's alley, but it's certainly uh, certainly was fun for me. But uh, that's uh, yeah, give those guys a look. And with that, I'm going to flow right into our feedback for this episode. I'll start with uh, Ben Hardaway. He congratulated us on 52 episodes. He enjoys our tips and interviews with some of the best modelers in the world. He says, "I hope you won't hold this against me, but like TJ, I'm a proud member of the Northern Virginia Modeling Community (IPMS). Nova member since 2014. I focus primarily on 135th scale armor and 1350th scale aircraft carriers and the amazing 172nd and 1144 scale Star Wars kits from Bandai. I always listen to your podcast while at the bench. And over time, the quality of my builds has improved as I've incorporated the techniques and ideas from your podcast into my work. He appreciates our positive approach. He does recommend that we broaden our reach just a little to bring in some of the excellent shipbuilders in, uh, that are out there. Uh, he wants to know where the shipwrights are. So we got a nice note from uh, our good friend, Andy Taylor, and he said, I th- Triple P, I thought you all were honorable gentlemen until I realized you were part of the problem. As we are well aware, the San Marcos Hotel Blocks opened last Saturday at midnight central time and a new record for the ho- host hotel selling out was established. While I was ready to go early and did everything described by the incredibly organized Nats team, I alas did not get a room in the venue. My plan was to book the next closest hotel, which was accomplished easily. I was not ready for the backlash on Facebook about the apparent lack of plan for the hotel, which I might add is not true. The unfair circumstances, etc. Negativity was not surprising, but nonetheless disappointing. I agree. To come to the point, the most memorable Facebook post was a gentleman who said, quote, so long as the podcast and social media folks are running the Nats hype train, this is going to be a recurring theme. I'm honored to call myself a member of the Triple P as you are a force of positive change. Our hobby is strong and getting stronger, largely due to the new camaraderie that your podcast and others, as was evidenced during the podcast seminar at the Omaha Nats, has created a new positive modeling energy and drawing even larger crowds. Well done, Posse. Well done. When modelers are up late at night booking rooms a year out, you know you're doing it right. Yes, we all had multiple alarms set in a very coordinated effort to attack the Embassy Suite site all at once. Yep. Moving on, we're going to go over to Boyd Brown. Every time I listen to the podcast, I say to myself, gee, I need to send these guys a message. But like that last 5%, I have fallen short on that goal until now. I can't tell you guys how much I enjoy the podcast. Listening to you guys while I drive to work, the podcast gets me there to and from two days in a row just gets my day going right. I often chime in on the conversation. Yes, I talk to myself, but really I'm talking as if you are all in the car with me. He goes on to talk about how much he too likes our positivity, even when we talk about things that set people off sometimes. He's looking forward to hanging in San Marcos. Lloyd, so are we. It's going to be an awesome time. Really appreciate your comments. I talk to myself with other podcasts as well. Nothing out of the usual. So thank you, good sir. All right. This one is from Peter Ferrugio. Uh, Hey, guys, just want to say how much I enjoyed your interview with John Murphy. I've only recently found out about John's work and became friends on Facebook. After discussing his Centurion Mark V, he contacted me personally to talk about techniques. Keep up the great work of the podcast and great interviews. Yeah, John is a fantastic guy. Uh, You just need to call him Spud now, but he's a fantastic guy. Now it's time for the new PPP interview. This time, JB and Scott are talking to John Bryan. Enjoy.
All right. Welcome into another Plastic Posse podcast interview. Today, we are excited to have a gentleman on who's been a big fan of the show. He sent us some great feedback, which we'll discuss a little bit in detail. He's an incredible um, aircraft modeler from the UK. John Bryan, welcome to the Posse. Thank you very much indeed. It's a pleasure to be here. Welcome, John. You know, really happy to talk to you and certainly looking forward to diving in some of the builds that you've uh, displayed on your blog. Well, John has been uh, terrific in sending us some really great suggestions um, and feedback along the way. And uh, I'm going to start out with uh, kind of taking John to the woodshed a little bit, all in all in fun, <laughs> of course. But uh, John sent him some uh, great feedback, which uh, sponsored a lot of subsequent feedback throughout the months and a lot of feedback from other listeners as well. And uh, if uh, any of you listen to the show regularly, you'll recall this, but John had sent in a, a bit of feedback, which I'll, I'll summarize and then John, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. Essentially, it was a little bit of a frustration that the aircraft modeling community didn't really have um, as much collaboration as the armor modeling community, you know, kind of those night shift kind of people to kind of bring people in and share techniques as readily as, as the armor modeling community seems to. So, I mean, John, is that kind of the uh, the intent of, of your feedback originally? Yeah, that's a fair summary. I think a lot of it came from the fact that if you look, I'm, on, I'm not an armor modeler, I only make aircraft, but I uh, admire armor modeling from a distance. I watch Uncle Night Shift's videos every week and there are certain names that come up in the armor community as far as I can tell. People like him, Adam Wilder, um, Mick Jimenez and so forth. And I think John Bonani, I would put in there as well. He's Ooh, someone who comes up and an that crowd. And there are these, and there are others as well who, whose names don't come to the top of my head right now. But everyone seems to agree that they are fantastic modelers. There's a lot of positivity around their work. They themselves are very open with what they're doing and they seem to have some sort of relationship with one another, which certainly on the face of it looks to be a very positive and at least semi collaborative. And I just look at the aircraft modeling world and don't see the same dynamics playing out and i'm afraid i don't have any answers as to why that is but it's <laughs> i think an, an accurate observation and so it interests me as to why the cultures are different yeah i think uh you know we've as, as i mentioned we've certainly had a lot of uh discussion around this point but i think i i almost wonder how much of it and jb i'd be interested in your take on this as well I wonder how much of that starts with like a Martin in the aircraft world. Is there that not, not just incredible modeler, but a guy with a lot of personality and a very, very broad appeal like Martin is in armor? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I can think of some in the aircraft community. Maybe, uh, you know, Spencer Pollard is one example. I think he's a, a great, you know, ambassador to the aircraft world and, and maybe, you know, probably one of the most prolific modelers on that side. I, I, I don't know. I've thought about this a lot and, and maybe it's just, you know, maybe the armor guys put themselves out more. Maybe they're just more open. I don't know. Um, but, you know, you look at people like Mike Rinaldi doing live streams, interacting with the community. You look at Night Shift with YouTube, interacting with that community, his Patreon, always open, always willing to talk. And, you know, I, I've even messaged Adam is another great example. You, you shoot him a message and I'll be honest, you don't have, you can be a nobody and he'll respond to you. 
I've shot him a message out of the blue the first time a couple of years ago, and he was kind enough to respond. And he's like that with everyone. I, I don't know, Scott. It's just a, it's just a, you know, an interesting uh, dynamic. You know, certainly I know a lot of great aircraft modelers. Uh, you know, countless here in the states and abroad. Uh, they're awesome. But you know, I don't know if maybe it just comes down to them putting themselves out there and you know opening themselves up to engagement. It seems yeah. to me because I'm not, I'm certainly not going to disagree that there are great uh, aircraft modelers out there and that they're generating very public content. But it, it does seem to me that you don't have to stray very far before you'll find someone who quite vocally disagrees with that person or doesn't. <laughs> uh, doesn't have the same opinion of their work as other people might do and i might call that a form of tribalism almost yeah. that the aircraft modeling world is can be fairly tribal or fragmented again i'm looking at armor modeling from a distance and i'm not saying it's all, all entirely happy i'm sure there are disagreements over there too but it does seem that uh there is quite a lot of mutual admiration and respect amongst those people and when you listen to interviews because a lot of them give excellent interviews they often seem to go back to this missing links thing uh which oh, i think yeah. is mm -hmm. connected with hyperscale or in yeah. some way in the past and again it's not something which a scene which i was a part of or participated in but that seems to be a common route for a lot of these guys who have now become armor modeling superstars and i don't think anything like that exists as far as i'm aware in aircraft modeling i mean i've been doing this for a very long time online so i, I think that's a, a key difference and it seems to be bearing fruit now you know, you bring up a good point, and I think, you know, I think part of it, you can actually, yes, a good point is bringing it back to Missing Links, and I think what was important there, back at the early beginning, on Hyperscale, I don't believe it was the case. On Missing Links, you had to use a real name. There's a personality attached to a real name as opposed to, you know, monikers over on Hyperscale. And I maybe, I think that was maybe something uh, that helped a lot to draw that personal connection because you have that person's name. A lot of times, you know, they were, there was a lot of personal messages too. And I was a part of that community, but only as an observer. I rarely ever posted, but you know, there was a time when you could go onto this simple website and see, you know, Adam, Mike and Meg's work all in the same day posting whip pics mm -hmm. and, you know, finished work and interacting with other people. And it's really interesting you point out that site is kind of like the epicenter of uh you know where armor kind of originated from and, and grow uh, and grew from you know that it's kind of like the headwaters of this community of collaboration and and i think maybe one thing as you guys are discussing this that i'm thinking of is this the integration of the spanish modelers and the little bit more i, I don't want to debate this here but that little bit more artistic interpretation of weathering you know, armor pieces in general, I'm, I'm stereotyping, tend to be more weathered than aircraft models models do on, a, on a, an overall scale. And I'm wondering, like, the timing of that forum, you know, that obviously predates Facebook and everything. And, and you know, John said you could get on there and you could interact with Adam and Mike and Mig and these guys that have been so influential as armor modelers. I'm wondering if how much timing plays into that. Yeah, I think that's a good observation because, again, pre-Facebook, pre-missing links, you had, in terms of aircraft modeling, a limited number of websites where people were gathering mm -hmm. around these things. But they already were differences between them. So, you know, uh, late 90s, you'd have Aircraft Resource Center, you'd have Modeling Madness, and you'd have Hyperscale. For me, they were the three big ones. There were a couple of yep. others as well. 
And already the forums which grew up around those or associated with them were pretty tribal, to be honest. And some of those go back to a news group, a rec model scale. I don't know if either of you guys were ever involved in that. Mm-hmm. I think I joined that in about 96. That was a highly fractious place. I mean, that was just yeah. endless arguments over nothing. <laughs> and aircraft modeling did seem to predominate, is my memory, in that particular group. And I'm not, I don't recall that much about armor on there or other genres. And so I wonder if early on, there were strong dis- disagreements, strong personalities, and they sort of just have filtered through to now, really. I mean, even if you go back to, you know, Brett Green's an interesting example because Brett Green, I've never heard anyone say anything negative about Brett, Brett Green publicly. Oh, yeah. He's yeah, just an amazing um, gentleman. And he was very, he's always been very, very kind to me. And in 2007, he started publishing my models on hyperscale. Uh, 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 yeah, everyone has good things to say about. Um, Brett Green. But nevertheless, uh, hyperscale forums could still be pretty fractious place for the aircraft modeling community. And you had controversies over things like the Jackal Squadron. I can't even remember when that was, maybe the late 90s, early noughties, something like that. And, the Fatal uh, Fly as well. Say again? Is, uh, the Fatal Fly. I remember that being yeah. just a, the key word uh, for yeah. kits. And-, and then there's the whole weathering thing as well. And I guess one difference is, I th- again, maybe a misperception, but amongst armor modeling, people may disagree. Uh, people who I I think I have a high opinion of may disagree about modeling styles, but nevertheless can respect the artistic endeavor behind it, the execution of those techniques and so forth. Whereas in aircraft modeling, it often becomes a lot more personal for some reason. You know, you're, you're just wrong. I'm conscious that I know it does exist in armor. I think, John, you had some issues with some modulation or something recently. I don't really follow these things, but uh, I'm not saying no one has opinions on that side. But again, it just comes back to mutual respect. And I I think something else else is a lot of the armor modeling guys who I hear, like Mike Rinaldi, Adam Wilder, and Uncle Nightshift and so forth, they come across as quite humble, actually. I think there's quite a lot of humility in the way that they uh, present themselves and communicate. It's a very broad approach, but I'm not sure that that's so apparent sometimes on the aircraft side. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I think personality plays into it. I think yeah, if definitely. we were to be honest, and you know, we 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 constantly talk about Martin. You know, he's a friend of ours, and he he he's so influential. But I think if you look at his secret sauce, I've got air quotes here. I think so much of what makes him watchable it isn't just his amazing modeling skills or his great photography and video editing. It's his personality. It's his self-deprecation. It's his um, tight editing style. You know, a, a night shift video isn't 90 minutes or 100 minutes. It's usually 20 mm. or 25 minutes. And he, he's got the ability to tell a story in a way that's fun and engaging. And so... Yeah. I, I definitely think that's part of it. Well, John, you're such a, a terrific aircraft modeler, and, and we're going to talk about uh, some of your builds here. But maybe let me ask you a question as as we kind of start to wrap this up. Is part of maybe this tribalism and approach and everything, you think it boils down to the type of modeling? I mean, they're, they're all plastic kits and, you know, and yada, yada, yada. But what I mean is with armor modelers, I think... And, you know, I guess I'm generalizing again, but I think so much of armor modeling is put the kit together and you've got a canvas for to, to do your paint and your art on. So it's the finishing, it's the weathering and the mud and the splatter and everything else like that, where with aircraft, I seem to see my perception only, but a more of a attention to detail. You know, this panel had 16 rivets and not 12 rivets. And this exhaust manifold was only through the, you know, revision G2 model. You know, this rudder was on later models only, you know, those kinds of things. So do you think that might be a factor as well? 
I think it. I think it could be a factor. Um, I don't know enough about armor modeling to really comment on how people approach that. I think it's quite interesting seeing some of the recent commentary on judging, for example, amongst aircraft modelers, and seeing some of the stuff which is coming out of IPMS in the USA, and the comments there in relation to things like alignment and stuff like that. And it really is a very forensic, hypercritical way of looking at models. And I'll, I confess, I fall into that too when I go around Telford and I'm looking at models. I'm really there to be impressed in terms of are the seams removed is it not clean in terms of weather but is it cleanly built you know the joints are they good is the i'm not that keen on alignment but does it look at least square and and so forth so there's a lot of um attention focused on that um and much less of let's put it together and then focus on the finish of it but of course the finish matters as well and i do wonder why sometimes aircraft modelers seem to take it really personally. You know, if, if an aircraft model isn't finished in the style which they agree with it, people seem to take it quite personally. And that's where things like no crew chief ever, you know, that strap line which comes up, I think, on <laughs> SMCG, that sort of thing comes from. I mean, that sort of judgmentalism in terms of how aircraft models are finished. Whereas in armor, I see people, yeah, really care about execution. They care that it's done very, very well, but there seems to be a bit more freedom to try new things. And Nightshift does a lot of that, right? He's quite free with saying, this is an experiment. I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. And also working on tanks, which might not even have had production runs, or they may be, I don't really understand this world, but come from a game sort of environment rather than from the real world. And there's a lot more respect and credibility given to that, say, compared to aircraft for some reason. I don't know why that is. I think part of it might be, and this is slightly controversial, and but... Um, because I, I discussed it once with someone else and they thought I was completely wrong. But I think in terms of aspiration, I think a lot more of us grow up wanting to be pilots than we do tank commanders in a way. There's something very aspirational about that. Uh, I, I wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was growing up. You know, I tried to join the RAF and, and so forth. And so I think there are a lot more frustrated dreams, to be honest, amongst people that are into aircraft. You know, this is that's the life that I wanted or to participate in. And scale modeling, like in my case, is probably the closest that I'm going to get to it. And so there's some sort of personal investiture. Whereas I see people, especially newcomers into the hobby, maybe get into armor modeling much more than into aircraft. There's less personal investment in it. It's more for the sake of the modeling and the art than necessarily for the subject itself. Um, again, we always, we're generalizing and these could be wrong, but there's something which I, I do wonder if it plays into it sometimes. Well, it's a, it's certainly a fascinating discussion, you know, and you have guys like yourself and, you know, Spencer and, uh, you know, over in North America, you've got Chris Sieber, Luftdrom, who's just terrific and uh, Chris Wallace, you know, model airplane maker. I mean, you know, there are certainly some really friendly, engaging, great guys uh, that build aircraft modelers. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe the tide will change, you know, the environment uh, will change. You know, we certainly here at the Posse, as we were talking about before, really, really want to encourage that kind of community and 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 positive environment because you know at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're building a Warhammer figure or a Gundam or a tank or a you know a little you know little figure of someone riding on a bicycle. We all kind of do the same thing, right? Yeah, and I mean, you might want to edit this out later on, but I, I am going to say that I think the Plastic Posse podcast, one of the reasons I really like you guys is you are trying to be a bridge between a lot of these different tribes, to be honest. And you've had, you have people on your podcast who will quite violently disagree with each other, even semi-publicly online and so forth. <laughs> and that's quite an achievement to maintain that sort of credibility where people are willing to come and have the conversation with you, um, whereas they may not be having, willing to have it with, with one another. And so you, you perform a very good bridge function, and I think you're doing that very, very well. Well, that's that's very kind. We really, really I, I suppose what I will it. say is uh, there are 
lots of great aircraft modelers out there who I, you know, have great personalities and are very humble. I'm certainly not quibbling about that. And uh, some people who I would think are fantastic, like John Chung, you know, at the moment, the, the shuttle guy. And it's strange to me because lots of people, that's how he's come to their attention as the, the shuttle guy. John Chung has been around for a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and he's been putting stuff on hyperscale since at least the mid noughties of a, of a level which no one else is at in terms of the forensic analysis that he has mm-hmm. yeah. of the, the shape of the aircraft and the attention he's paying to the finish. And his stuff was mind blowing back there. And he was doing things back then, which are, people consider new and innovative now. It's great to see him really uh, flourishing on social media with some of that work. Other people who I have heard on some podcasts, people like uh, Fanch Lubin over in France. Again, I've never really interacted with him, but he sounds like a wonderful, humble guy and he's sharing his stuff and his his modeling is just uh, otherworldly in terms of what he's doing with his products. Tony Bell is someone else who I really admire his, his work, very understated in the way he presents himself, but top quality. So yeah, I definitely don't consider myself a terrific aircraft modeler at all, as you said earlier. I, I think that's unnecessarily high praise. I'm, I would like to think of myself as what anybody could achieve um, through very by the numbers, this is just recipe building and painting. There's, there's nothing special about what I'm doing. Anybody could do this. Whereas some of those other guys I've mentioned, they're, they're on a different level in terms of vision and uh, technical ability. We see a lot of that and it's it's great that we're humble, but I think sometimes we're all our own worst critics too. So That's definitely um, true. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Well, let's uh, let, let's kind of move on. That was a lot of fun. Um, John, tell us a little bit about yourself. When did, when did you first get into scale modeling and kind of discover you had a passion for the hop? So, uh, well, I'm now I'm 43, so that places me on the map now. I live just on the southern edge of Greater London, the boundary between London and the countryside, two miles directly from Biggin Hills Runway, which leaves me in the slightly odd position now when a Spitfire flying overhead is not even worth looking up at it. It's such a, a common occurrence out of there. So, oh, uh, that's blasphemy right there. Yeah, I know, man. I know. It's, it's terrible, isn't it? It's terrible. So I've been here about eight years. Yeah, I'm married and uh, to my lovely wife, Abby, got a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old daughter. So I, I do have a family. And I, so yeah, 43. And I started modeling. I don't know. On my website, I think I said I was five. I might have been six. I can't remember. <laughs> All I remember is that my mother came home one day from a jumble sale. I don't know if you have them. They've been replaced by charity shops here. It's now where you, people used to take all their secondhand stuff and sell it. And we didn't have a lot of money. And my mum would go to these jumble sales, buy clothes and whatnot. And one day she came home with, I think it was an Airfix kit. It was certainly a 172nd. And it was either a Hurricane or a Spitfire. And, you know, I put it together. My dad was a, was a craftsman, could do anything with his hands. Uh, he was a technology teacher in school. And so he, he was very for it. And I remember earth brown, humble enamel paint slapping it all over. And for some reason, I built that thing. And that was just it. And I have never stopped since, you know, Usually I say, oh, yeah, when I got to my teenage years, I found cars and I found girls and all these sort of things. Well, in the UK, finding cars isn't a big thing. Certainly found girls, but most people are lying when they say how much of a distraction they are. I've been to model shows and I've seen what modelers look like. And um, <laughs> in my opinion, I, I was definitely interested in girls, but I can't say that they were that interested in me. And so uh, I never had an excuse to give up modeling and uh, carried on all the way through. So a couple of big milestones, I suppose, because I'd build anything and anything with everything and anything when I was a kid. And uh, I remember summer of 92, I think I was I was 14, got on my bike. I had a load of money that I'd earned from my paper rounds. And I went on a, it was about a 30 mile bike ride. And it was amazing back then you could go to Toys R Us, Toys R Us in Woking, which is near where I grew up. And they had Hasagawa kits, just shelves of Hasa, 
Hasegawa kits there. I was loaded up on all these Hasegawa kits, went to another model shop in Guildford, which is another town, discovered uh, Mr. Hobby Aqueous Color, just this incredible paint that you could get. Got an airbrush the same year. And so I was uh, away then with, you know, these are better than Matchbox kits. These are better than Airfix kits. This Hasegawa business. I mean, back then, of course, you had no websites or anything. I didn't even know that magazines existed and I certainly didn't know that clubs existed. It was just me figuring out everything on my own. And um, you open up a 172nd Hasegawa F14 and find there's this sheet of thin metal and you've got, I've got no idea what this is. That was my first experience <laughs> of photo etch. I think it was steel. It was really horrible stuff to use, probably joining it to plastic with plastic cement. So yeah, my early discoveries back then, but I think you know, just to take an aside, there's just one enormous difference between what was going on back then and what's going on now is you just had no access to how to do anything. You have to do it all yourself. And that's very, very slow. Nowadays, you can find out things incredibly quickly. So yeah, got into airbrushing around the same time. And then the next big leap for me was in 1994. I had discovered a magazine called Scale Models International. One of the contributors to that was a chap called Jonathan Mott. And he had an article in there on the 148 scale Airfix Buccaneer. And I'd never really been into 148 scale aircraft until that point. And that's a horrible kit. The, the Airfix Buccaneer is a kit with a <laughs> reputation. I built two of them. It's a horrendous kit to put together. But I was really captivated by what he'd done with it. And uh, he'd started some weathering. He did that. And he did also an Airfix Jaguar. And uh, this is the first time I think I'd really seen people attempt to weather aircraft. These are in Gulf War pink schemes, which obviously chipped back to the underlying green and grey. And he'd had a go at doing some of that. And so I had a go at doing some of that as well. And I was thinking about that recently because people often talk about weathering being a relatively new phenomenon. And in some ways it is, but sometimes I think that's to do with time as well. Back then, this, the early 90s, the Gulf War, Gulf War One had just happened. And the US Navy was moving from gloss grey and white to the TPS scheme. And these things weathered a lot more. And all of a sudden, there was a lot more imagery around and of aircraft which were weathered, whereas older aircraft seemed a little bit less so, at least on the photographs that people had access to. So that's where I think there was sort of an explosion in interest in, in weathering. But I got that kit. And um, yeah, that started a collection 27 years ago, which has now continued to today, where I have only ever built 148 scale military aircraft that have seen service since World War II. So that's my lane. I have absolutely no interest in deviating from it whatsoever. And uh, that started a collection which, uh, yeah, is now filling up my living room. My very understanding wife allows currently 92 aircraft to make the shelves in the, in the living room. <laughs> That's incredible. She is very in 92. Yeah. Okay. Well, for someone, she really doesn't like ornaments. She prefers a very Spartan look. But um, when she married me, she knew what she was getting into. So. Early on, um, you mentioned that, you know, you were just kind of figuring out this, you know, all on your own. And so many modelers, you had a little bit of a solitary experience. You know, when did you first find some local collaboration or online collaboration? And how did that affect how you did your hobby? Yeah. So I went to university in 96 when I was 18, and I was fortunate enough to go to Cambridge. And the advantage of going to Cambridge was back then everyone was just getting into dial-up and modems and so forth. And the internet was a bit of a new thing here. But that university had local area networks hardwired into every single student room. So in 97, I got my first own, my own computer as opposed to a family one and just plugged it into the wall. And the, you know, I wasn't having to worry about modems and dial-up speeds and stuff like that. The download speeds were incredible. And then you just got plugged into the nascent world of modeling online, which, as I said earlier, was like rec model scale. And I'm sure there were some other things around that have slipped. 
my mind in early forums. And of course, there weren't very many photographs around in those days either. But that was my first exposure, I think, to a wider modeling world, more of an observant than this, maybe a participant dabbling here and there. That's always tended to be my style anyway. Uh, and then, of course, the big ones came along, like Hyperscale, as we said, and Aircraft Resource Center and so forth, and just began to open my eyes to what was out there in the world, what people were doing technique-wise, but still, to be honest, very slow. I mean, information was still show compared to what happens now on Facebook. And, and people are still very set in their ways in terms of techniques and materials. And so I think a lot of the developments, again, I've written about this on my blog, so I think the changes in the materials that we're using have had big effects in, on what we can do in the hobby. And I think that's much more recent, probably the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And, and like you said, it's, a, it's an overload today. I think you could probably gain as much information as literally in five minutes as a day of hyperscale, you know, even 10 years ago. And it was oh, yeah. such a pain, you know, we've talked about it before where the engagement was difficult because of the ability to upload photographs. You got to find a host site then you got to copy the link over. And it just really, it, it was the start of something great, but it just, it really shows why social media has become that place because of convenience and accessibility and, you know, also just the, you know, usability of it as well. I mean, you can, I mean, you could be building something, take a snap of it, throw it online, and you know, literally an hour later, have a hundred likes on it and engagement, yeah. and create create such a a different experience than you would you know ten years ago on hyperscale. But hyperscale yeah. is still an excellent resource. You know what I think, and you've probably realized this is you know Facebook is good for sharing your work, I think, and and engaging the community. But when it comes to deep technical kind of discussion and those serious conversations, if you can have them with the hobby. The hyperscale serves that purpose still, and same with missing links. I think yeah. that's one thing that misses is missing from social media is the credibility of some of the groups. And hyperscale is still that place. If I have a technical question, I got to go there. It's really interesting you raise the issue of credibility, and I think it's related to, the, uh, to an issue of authority. Like, who are the authority figures, as it were, in modeling? Who do you look to to say, yeah, they know mm -hmm. what they're talking about? Because I think back then the lack of photographs meant that someone would come online and say, you, you need to do this, that, and the other. This is how you do this, that, and the other. And you had mm -hmm. no way of evaluating whether what they were telling you was any good or not, or if mm -hmm. they were any good at executing it. Everyone's, <laughs> I mean, I agree, there are different types of models. I think most of us are our own worst critics. Some people don't necessarily have the eye that other people might have. So you might get someone say, oh yeah, I sprayed on a gloss layer, let's say future to be controversial, or Johnson's Clear if you're from my country, and I got a glass-like finish. But it, you didn't know whether that finish was glass-like or not until photographs came along. And then photographs come along and all of a sudden you can start comparing what people are saying with what they're doing. And that was a fantastic thing because that then gave you a really good steer as these people are the people who I need to listen to if I want to improve on this technique and so forth. On the flip side, like what you said in terms of the technical stuff, uh, I'm, and I, by that I would mean things like accuracy or the technical yes. specifications of the subject. Yep. For me, I, I mean, I still daily visit the forums. I am daily on Brit Modeler, on yep. ARC. I still visit Plain Talking every day because there you will find people who really know what they're talking about in terms of the subject and the material is easy to access. Facebook definitely has that, but it's just hard to access and share it. That's where you go and ask questions. And you can, I mean, I built a Spitfire PR19 in December and on Brit Modeler, there are incredible resources on there if you are interested right. in accuracy issues, which you won't find anywhere else. 100% agree. I mean, with exception to a few very, and I'm talking from an armor perspective on Facebook, there's a few groups I know to go to for really deep technical questions. Um, but even sometimes missing links is still that place where, yeah. you know, the, the guys that literally wrote the book on it still, still visit and, and hyperscale is that place too. You know, like you mentioned, you could post a, something up on a 109 and, and have an answer probably within a day 
to maybe Jerry Crandall himself even contributing uh, for that matter. But, you know, that's that's the one thing where it's hard to find on social media. But, you know, when it comes to the hobby itself and actually building models, I, I think it is is a really great place. Yeah. And obviously you said Google, I think, was just a, a transformative yeah. thing. Um, yeah. I can't remember what even old search engines were called. Alta Vista, maybe, stuff like this. You know, I remember using Yahoo, like, yeah, Metacrawler. Yeah, all these sort of things. <laughs> And all of a sudden, Google comes along, and now you can do your own research and compare yeah. that with what other people are doing and then share it. So, for example, I was building a Grumman Duck in the autumn, and I've got the Steve Ginter book on it. I've got the Squadron mm-hmm. book on it. And they're just not in-depth enough in some of the differences in the variants, which I was making. And then you can start Googling, and you've got images, and you can go in-depth on your own. And then you're not on a par with the published sources, but you can interrogate them much better, and you can do a lot of your own research and come to your own conclusions and share that in a different way. And Google was absolutely transformative for that. Yeah, and, and, and it's really crazy the amount of information that's being disseminated as well. I, I yeah. feel like every week we see a new photograph that proves some sort of you know historical antidote wrong, whether it be you know gray barrels on a tank or you know the undercarriage color of a certain aircraft. I mean, it is unbelievable the access of information. Like you said, go- simple Google searches, and if and if you're, I mean, if you're savvy with Google, Google too, you you know tricks to try to find information that you know isn't necessarily classified, but we'll just say is a Spitfire Mark Nine or something. You know, you search for adjacent things and kind of lead into it. But you know, it, it's really unbelievable with that amount of knowledge and, and reference material and how it supports the hobby. And it's it's the golden age in every aspect, I think. And yeah. it's a yeah. lot of fun. And, and, and then I also want to highlight, you know, you have people like yourself that create blogs for, you know, their personal portfolio. And I think that is really great too. And it's something that I'm glad hasn't gone to the wayside by social media. I think, you know, I... I put a lot of stuff on Facebook, but blogs are still a wonderful resource for article types of, um, you know, posts or, you know, other techniques, you know, th- it's a mechanism and format that is very conducive to processing that information. And I think the way you write it, and I, I tell you what, the Catalina is probably my favorite build out of all yours, because I know <laughs> what you went through to make it look like that. Um, yeah, but, that's you know, the biggest failure on the website as well. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, we could talk about my website in a minute and why that came about. At times, I am concerned that that the value of it is not there anymore, as it were. The, the, the emphasis has so much shifted. The engagement has so much mm-hmm. shifted to Facebook and maybe other forms of social media, which I just don't engage in. I'm not on Instagram or anything like that, which I, which I really love those things. But it's, it's the same reason that I still buy a magazine, actually. I still subscribe to Scale Aircraft Modeling, which I've started to contribute to, and uh, Aircraft uh, FX Model World. For me, there's still a lot of value in a, in a well-written article, um, mm-hmm. which I cannot get yet from Facebook, to be honest. I can get a lot of other fantastic mm-hmm. things from Facebook, but I can't get that. I would agree. You know, it's it's the story behind it. You know, pictures are worth a thousand words, but you got to know what those words are sometimes to understand yeah. what's in the picture. You know, I can see a post on Instagram or Weathered Models is actually a fantastic page I, on Yes, Facebook. I belong to that. I observe that. Amazing, amazing <laughs> stuff on there. So good. And it's like, man, I want a dissertation on what you did to achieve that kind of yeah, finish. Yeah. And it is hard to find on Facebook. And the other problem is, you know, if you don't save it or, you know, literally download it, it's gone. You can't yeah. find it again. Yeah. Know? the Yeah. The threads are the one part of the forum-based communities that I think are superior because, yeah, t- 10 years from now, we can go back and look at that Catalina build that John did and look at how he dealt with the absolute nightmare that was that canopy and uh, what his solution for for that was. And then the other thing is um, 
I think the same thing happened to the forums, uh, John, that you're alluding to, which is they were very, very general to begin with. And then part of the reason why I think they sort of fell out of favor, quote unquote, a little bit, I mean, with the exception of, you know, some of the big ones like Hyperscale is very, very specialized forums then sort of became the next outreach. So instead of plain talking, now all of a sudden you got, well, I've got one 72nd scale Japanese aircraft forum. That's a very, very focused on just a particular segment of one genre of the hobby. Mm. Mm. Which has value for the technical side of things, as Jay, as John was saying earlier, but uh, is is a narrowing. There's a lot more places to look now. It, I think Definitely. I think it's really similar to music. The music industry provided all of us with you know right or wrong, good or bad, no matter where you stand on it. They would release all these great albums and you know all these great bands, and it's not like that anymore. Right. It's completely different now. The downside is is there's you know music from you know sort of a generalized perspective is it nearly what it was there aren't these mega bands you know right. there aren't the metallicas and the u2s and the you know the beatles and things like that but the upside is you can literally go out on the internet and find a million different kinds of music if you're willing to look for it if you're willing to search mm-hmm. you know and uh, there's so much of a, i guess there's so many more choices it's just much harder to find, like yeah. you're mentioning. And I mean, we, this would be straying from the subject of the podcast. So I wouldn't expect this to make it in. But I think that observation is is really astute. And I think it's affecting many areas in life. I do look at my daughters and think, you know, when I was their age, we all listened to the same music. We all followed the top 40 on the Sunday afternoon. We all uh, cohered around these common reference points, which which held our communities together in some ways. We In this country, we always had a very limited number of TV channels back then. So everyone watched the same TV programs and so forth. And that, does, that just doesn't happen anymore. It's a much, much much, much more fragmented experience. And I do have concerns for that in terms of society in general, but this is the way the world is. And like you said, I'm not, I'm not hitting on technology or anything like that. There are, it's a technolo- technological revolution that we are living through and there will be incredible upsides uh, to that as well. But it has affected and will affect the modeling world. And, and those technologies brought disruptors along with them. I think part of the tribalism maybe we were talking about earlier is, and it's again to do with timing, is that old schools of authority, the magazines, the IPMS society, wh- whatever it might be, found that new people were coming in and had somewhat different ideas and were now very easily able to disseminate those ideas. And, you know, some of those groups are disruptive. And if you're going to be disruptive, there will probably be a cost to that. Everyone has to learn to cope with one another through that um, that change. For me personally, I just think it's been overwhelmingly positive. My modeling has accelerated over the last five or six years because of my engagement with it through Facebook, just because the access to inspiration is so much more frequent. And there's so much more conversation going on around about how people are doing what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, with that too, it's, you know, for me and, and Scott is a perfect example, you know, that, and like you said, just within the, fa- fa- the last five years, that's critical, I think. And for me, even within the last two, I, you know, I've put myself out there a little bit more, try to get to know people. And, and some of these people are my best friends, you know, they're, they're flying to, they're flying to shows for me. You know, they're coming to my house, you know, we're, we're eating funfetti cake and, you know, we're going to the nationals. Like these things are not possible without Facebook and social media. You know, we had a little bit with, I think, Missing Links and Hyperscale, but it was never to where it is today where, you know, for better or worse, you know, the disruption is is helped in in that sense for the shows. I mean, countless people we met at the last IPMS Nationals, oh, this was my first show. I saw it online. You posted this. You mentioned that. And and I would assume that you've probably experienced the same thing with Telford where you're seeing a newer 
potentially different demographic of individuals coming that weren't present at shows 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, maybe. I do go to Telford every year and I was there last autumn. It's hard to tell at the moment. It's hard to tell. I hope it does go in there. Certainly online, you see a lot more people coming along who are participating in the hobby who are not necessarily part of IPMS and so forth. But it's easy, I think it's easy to forget how recent these changes are and to forget what it was like to not have them. I think this even potentially lies between controversies about the whole future, you know, <laughs> as a gloss coat and stuff like that. Because, you know, I've only had a smartphone for eight years. I think before, before eight years ago, I just had a normal phone. And I know Facebook's been around since, what, 2006 or seven or something. But yeah. it's easy to forget. It's not that long ago that we didn't have it. And, right. you know, back then it was a credible material. And all of a sudden it's not a credible material. And it's easy to forget what it was like. Um, but because it, it wasn't that long ago, really. It wasn't that long ago. Right. I mean, I, you know, I was very fortunate. I went to shows with my dad back in, you know, the 90s. Um, and it was different. And like you said, even in the early 2000s, I think about when I went to shows, it was much more of a like, hey, it's me and my dad or it's just me. Like I remember going to school yeah. in Florida and I went to one show by myself. And, you know, I'm sure there were people there that I would have loved to hang out with, but the communication mechanism wasn't really there. And that's what, and it goes back to your point around disruption and, and looking at IPMS and saying, you know, today people don't need the society. And I, and I hate to say that I'm on the board. <laughs> um, of IPMS USA. And, you know, one of the things I want to do is make make the society evolve to incorporate these different mediums, these different platforms, and the different ways we approach the hobby to keep people engaged with the society. And I do think there is a value to the society. And, you know, the Nationals is, is its crown jewel for that matter. And what it does for inspiration, friendship, social gatherings. I mean, just the whole you know, good time mantra is, is exemplified at that show. And that's one of the things that the society facilitates. And I think there's other aspects of the society that can succeed as well, but it's difficult in this age um, when there are other options and they're readily available and they're free. You know, I remember my first magazines that I bought for the, for the hobby when I, Oh, wow. They have modeling magazines. Very cool. I remember opening them up and being tremendously disappointed because most of the photographs were in black and white. And a lot of the photographs were very, very small. And while they were inspirational, it was sort of a limited ability to really tap into what was being presented. And, you know, now with social media, you've got multiple platforms. You can choose a platform like us that, you know, these crazy guys that want to <laughs> do an audio podcast about what is a visual hobby, or you can go on YouTube and, and watch, you know, watch a video and sort of everything in between. Yeah, I completely agree with all that. And I, I am particularly interested in um, John's point about still having a place for the IPMS because I passionately believe that there is still a place for the IPMS. I mean, I can only speak for this country and I'm, I'm a member, but I don't participate in anything beyond that. I think Telford is, is, is a fantastic event and I want Telford to succeed. And mm -hmm. I hope that COVID and Brexit don't threaten that because part of, like you said, there are other options and they're readily available. And I don't, I hope we don't end up killing the goose that laid the golden egg, if you see what I mean. I believe that what we need is that sort of, healthy mix of progressives, people who are pushing the boundaries and say, let's go there, let's go there. And the conservatives are saying, and let's remember where we've come from and try and carry one, everyone together into it. And I think that, I think that can be done. But I, yeah, I, I definitely believe there's a place for the IPMS, um, but it does need to change uh, th as, because the world is evolving and things need to evolve yeah. along with it. Yeah. 
and you know, with that, you know, where, where's IPMS fit in? I, I love when manufacturers, you know, really, you know, treat the IPMS with, with a lot of, you know, they help them. That's what I'm trying to say is, you know, I look at Andy's hobby headquarters, you know, he chose to come to the IPMS nationals in Vegas and make a huge announcement with the new stub kit. I mean, never, you know, that, that type of, you know, community and using that venue as an expression of this. And it's like does so much for the organization and then also the hobby itself. And it goes back to your point with, you know, social media and having having the information right away. I mean, Scott live streams the announcement, you know, back 10, 15 years ago, we'd hear trickles on hyperscale, potentially a photograph, and then there'd be a magazine article about it. Now you can literally see someone physically holding it, moving it around, talking to the person who designed it all within an instant live. And that's unbelievable for the hobby. Yeah. Yeah. And it promotes engagement face to face. I mean, I have been to Telford several times, you know, it's about mm-hmm. 200 miles from where I live. It's a significant journey in UK terms and go there for the whole day and not speak to a single other person. You know, yeah. I, I have done that and then come home again. Whereas now, at least I know that person, I might actually go up to them and say, hey, you're such and such and mm-hmm. start to have a conversation. And that makes it a completely different experience. Still valuable. When I went on my own and would wander around, it's inspirational for me. I've gone because I enjoy it and I, I really enjoy participating in it. But if you can get over that hurdle to making it more of a relational thing rather than just uh, I'm looking at all these subjects. Transactional, into, yeah. Yeah, into a whole different realm of experience. John uh, drug us, you know, I, I say kicking and screaming and all, and all jest. But, you know, he was so passionate because he's been to so many of these national shows. Um, it's been, I mean, he's so, you know, for him, that part of the hobby, that social part of it, that IPMS piece of it is so, uh, so much a part of his experience. And he was right. It was fantastic. I'd never been to a Nats, literally. I'm, I'm 52 years old. You know, I've been doing models since, you know, seriously, since I was, 21 or 22 years old, never been to one. And then, you know, to return the favor, I drug him kicking and screaming into podcasting. So, you know, <laughs> turn about his fair play. Yeah. And, and, you know, just echoing what Scott said, you know, and, and really goes back to what you said, John. I When I grew up, you know, I'd go to the nationals with my dad and, you know, he had his friends and, you know, I didn't really have any. And even when I was going into my 20s, I, w- I would go to them and I wouldn't really, you know, I'd talk to people, but it wasn't like, wasn't that all, you know, immersive, you know, I had yep. some friends, it was, it was okay. But now it's like literally the day is not long enough to connect yep. with everyone. Yep. It's insane. I love it. And I can't wait for it this year. And like you said, it's, and there's value to both. And I don't judge anyone for any experience that they, they want to have. Some people love to go there quietly by themselves, enjoy the contest room, enjoy surfing the vendors, spend their money, maybe chat with somebody and maybe not. And that for them is is their year. And and that is fantastic. And we love those people too. And then on the other side, you know, there's, you know, gregarious social butterflies like myself who won't shut up when talking to people. Um, but it's a venue where those, you know, essentially polar opposite personalities have one focus and it's a hobby and they both get joy out of it. And IPMS helps facilitate that. Yeah, and that's, that's why, exactly it. That's exactly yeah. it. So I think the, the, you, I hate this phraseology, but the unique selling point of IPMS is to provide that context in which those yeah. relationships can be established and grow. Cause lots of other things can be provided elsewhere. And mm-hmm. that, so that's it. It provides this focal point where people can come. And cause I think I'm, I'm, it's sort of my philosophy in life. I suppose I believe in, in embodied existence. I think this, what we're doing now is fantastic that we can talk across mm-hmm. time zones and thousands of miles. That's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But still it will never, in my opinion, replace embodied 
interactions. That's why we love coming together. And that's why I think your podcast, and I know uh, the Plastic Model Mojo and the Model Geeks, those three in particular, maybe I'm doing a disservice to others, but you know, they really pushed the IPMS nationals in the USA. And that, I mm-hmm. hope, has done IPMS USA a fantastic service because it's just shown it's not about the organization existing for its own sake or for its own ends, but providing this context in which you guys can get together meet one another and that that is very important for the future of the hobby i think yeah i you know maybe we're biased but if you talk to you know dave and mike at the pmm or uh you know darren and co over at the geeks you know we've said it i, I truly believe we moved the needle for vegas i, I, I you did yeah you know there From there are some people there they came up to our table and, and the geeks and the plastic model mojo have the same experience where they're like you know what i heard you guys talking about it i've never been I drove all here by myself, left my wife at home, told her I'm going to Vegas for three days to look at models and plastic models, that is. And she's probably like wondering what I'm doing out here. But like like those people like came out of the woodwork. Uh, and, and, you know, we've stayed in touch too. We've, you know, and that's the impetus of the group builds. You know, the geeks have the A4. We have the Sherman and the community that was built around emanated from that show is something that we couldn't get otherwise. And that's why I tell people, you know, when you think about a national membership at IPMS, you are facilitating this. You are can I give you something quantifiable? No. Uh, you know, if you want ones and zeros behind what you're going to benefit, this probably isn't the right conversation to have. You know, it's it's around what you talked about it and the ability to connect with others around a common theme. And that theme is scale modeling. Yeah. And most of us are not in it for the ones and zeros. And I appreciate exactly. businesses have to be in it for that, but we're not in it for that. And, <laughs> right. and I think the other thing that you've managed to achieve in terms of, uh, I mean, I think the podcast modeling community is astonishing because I've been into podcasts for a long time. And often in a particular genre, you'll have podcasts and they don't necessarily acknowledge one another. They don't exist in a, a network necessarily. Mm-hmm. Whereas you guys, I mean, all very different with different features and yet maintaining some sort of community across the different podcasts. And the fact that it was three podcasts that went to the nationals together to do that, again, showed it's not about us building a community with some sort of boundary around it and establishing our tribe mm-hmm. and our empire or whatever it might be. It crossed all of those boundaries. And I think that speaks probably louder than you might know or appears on the face of it. You know, one of the things that, that we did in, in Vegas was we had a podcast meet and greet. I don't know that it was the apex of the idea was necessarily to bridge the gap between podcasts, but it was very, very effective to realize that, you know, just because your podcast, like in the geeks case, is almost all about aircraft, whereas the posse tends to generally gravitate towards armor and science fiction, because that's, that's kind of what we do. It doesn't matter because the, the, just like you guys were talking about, IPMS is about collaboration, getting that opportunity to talk about something that you love and you're passionate about with other people that have similar passions and similar interests. Yeah. There's no there's no barriers. We're all friends here. The the, the hobby is so small. Why 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 close someone out? Because you're gonna see them, if not physically, certainly online. And who wants that? And, you know, it's, it just all goes back to, you know, you just, you just try to be happy and create positive vibes. And, you know, everybody's looking to have fun and everybody can have fun in their own way. And John, I hope you come to, I hope you consider coming over to the Nats one time. Well, you know, next yeah. year is Texas and. One day I'd like to, but I'm afraid not looking possible for me for certainly the next uh, few years. My wife and I do have a dream one day to do a massive road trip across America, you know, do like Atlanta, San Francisco, New York in, in a car or something like that. You got to come out west, man. That's where the beauty is. I'm learning that. I just got here. Yeah. I've only been to America once. I was fortunate to get paid to go to a conference in San Francisco and a friend happened to be getting married in Omaha. The, oh, the Jason okay. weekend. Oh, wow. I've been to Omaha in December. Yeah. It's- oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, I'm jealous of you guys. I'm jealous that in America you have this scene really where you have, I think podcasts are pioneering it where you have different communities. Over here, we don't have that. You know, when I think of Telford, I don't see any means by which what you're talking about there could happen over here. And yet we have all these magazines. It's just and in America, your yeah. magazine landscape is a desert. It's very odd. And yet we have it's, magazines coming out of our ears, to be honest. Yeah, it's crazy. I will say, you know, what I'm really jealous about Telford is kind of the focus of the show in a sense for the special interest groups. That's something that has not caught in on over yeah. here. You know, when the IPMS Nationals it's unfortunate, and I say this with all you know, true, true heart. It felt is that it's it, for a lot of people, it's a competition. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But you know, the focus, you know, there's the vendor room and the contest. Now, fortunately, we've we've carved out a good social swath in each of those. But you know, the focus of displaying your models at the IPMS Nationals is to compete, not yeah. to to display them in a group setting like Telford. And you see the massive hall where you know we got guys that come from my uh, old club in Pittsburgh. They go to the U.S. Air Force SIG and literally they love going there. They put their model on display. They're not worried about entering the competition. You know, they're drinking with the guys. You know, they can hang out with the checks afterwards. You know, it's it's that type of display and community that is not present at the IPMS yeah. Nationals, which is unfortunate. Um, and I'm very jealous and I can't wait to see it at Telford one day. Yeah, that is a... That is a fantastic feature of Telford. Yeah. Because the, the show, the contest at, you know, how many people enter the actual contest at Telford? Oh, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but the contest isn't particularly big. And right. also not massively, like you could easily go to Telford and not even bother looking at the com- at the competition. It was it used to be yeah. up in a different floor in a mezzanine room. This year, yeah. because everything was much smaller, it, there were more people looking around it. But it's a bit of a faff really to look around it because it's crowded and yeah. the timing is limited because we have a, a much shorter time scale than you do in the USA mm-hmm. for the show. And yeah, I would, I, I don't pay much attention to it. I go and have a look, but really for me, the value is in walking through the endless other tables and displays, yeah. which are a highly variable in quality. And I think that's fantastic. I think everyone feels equally able to just bring their stuff and put it on display. And yeah, I really appreciate that aspect of it. And that's one thing uh, I'm definitely a little jealous about is those pockets of, uh, you know, that community there. Is, is uh, yeah, it's more than find. pockets. I'll tell you, that's the main <laughs> – that and the vendors are the two big parts of it. I yeah. do hope it gets back to the previous scale at which it was. I mean, it was a, a lot smaller last year. I still had a fantastic time and for the first time I was there for both days. But I do hope it begins to recover to back to what it was in terms of scale. And I think Telford will be there. You know, once once we get through this and, and go into an endemic and, and, and learn to live with everything, I think, you know, you'll definitely see it. People people are itching. And, and from what I saw from the show this year from Ivan, the, the social aspect was still there. You know, oh, yeah. it seemed like people were having a great time and it was really that outlet that they needed after being cooped up forever. And we felt the same way in Vegas, to be honest. Yeah. No, it was very good from that perspective. With Telford, do you do you bring stuff to display, or or you purely go as kind of an you know just just want to attend and have a good time? Yeah, I just attend and have a good time. This year, I did take some models to enter into the competition. I don't like competing, and I certainly had no expectation of winning anything. But I believe in the event, and I don't yeah. belong to an IPMS club which has a table, and the SIG that I belong to wasn't displaying. So I thought at least I can do my bit of bringing something along for people to see and. Yeah. You know, I think I put, I put in quite a few. I think I probably put in nine models. Um, oh, nice. And, you know, they, 
I got a silver, I think, for a helicopter. Nothing else was in contention for anything. That's fair enough. It shouldn't have been. I know where the flaws were and I know they were the things which were better, but it was about showing stuff really. A hundred percent. And that's, you know, I made Scott drag something to Omaha and he friggin' won. But, <laughs> you know, you know that that's the whole aspect. When I tell people, it's like, listen, there's no, there's no standard. You don't have to build to any, like literally just bring it, put it on the table. That's an accomplishment in my mind. And, and I, I respect everybody that does that. And it's unfortunate that they have to be judged, but that's why I take literally thousands of photos at the show because everything is unique. Everything tells a story. And, and I want to show, you know, my little bit of respect to that person for bringing and putting their stuff on the table. And, and that's what I encourage everybody to do on, on this side of the pond is, you know, bring it. Doesn't matter. It's any given Sunday. Who knows? You yeah. might win. You know, judges may love it. And, and yeah. you know, you don't know what else is going to be there. And we, we try to just promote that. So I completely understand. And, and it's great to support the event like that. Well, and you get to see models or genres that maybe you don't even think about. Maybe you don't even initially have an interest. Like we have a good friend, John Everett, and uh, he brought these dinosaur models. And, you know, I, I don't have any interest in building a model of a dinosaur, but to see his pieces and I actually got to judge that category. And so really take some time and dive into the art and the care and the love and the passion is really inspiring. You know, there's dioramas that people invest, you know, hundreds of hours into electronics, lights and different things that are happening. You know, again, something that I, you know, I don't really have an interest in. And then people that are scratch building best of show at Vegas was a scratch built uh, sky crane helicopter. It's, just amazing to see that somebody can put together something like that without a kit, you know? And so you get inspiration from things that maybe you wouldn't even realize. Uh, you, you wouldn't go with the intention of being inspired by, but yet the inspiration happens anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, speaking of inspiration, um, you know, John, who are some people that inspire your work? Who, who are some people that have had an impact on how you see your modeling and where you want your modeling to go? I think inspiration is an interesting thing because it's a moving target. And I think people need to realize they can be an inspiration even if they themselves feel that they're not at the top of the game, if you know what I mean. You just you can be inspired by someone who's just that one step ahead of you. You know, so I mentioned earlier on that my whole collection was started off really by an article by Jonathan Mock. And there was another author around at the same time on the same magazine called Ted Taylor, who's passed away now. And I only met him once and he was very influential. And then you get to a certain thing and the modeling world evolves and you evolve. And then so you look for new sources of inspiration to go to the next level. And I think I mentioned some of those names earlier. I think John Chung, Fanch Lubin, Ben Schumacher. And there's a chap making a 132nd H-34 Choctaw helicopter, which I think he's doing on Facebook. And it's also on uh, ARC. He's called Oliver During or something like that. Astonishing. Absolutely. It's not well publicized, but if you can find photos of it, he's doing the interior scratch built and the painting is amazing. So you just see people around like that, Tony Bell again, who I mentioned earlier. Yeah, they're probably some of my inspirations at the moment. But I'm in a strange position where I've been doing it for quite a long time now, and you sort of get into a groove, and you still get pushed and inspired, but you also sort of know what your well, I know what my style is. And yes, it will evolve and it will change, but I think it will be by increments rather than by large jumps, because there are there are limitations. My my philosophy is I want to build my stash before I die, 
at the moment, I think it's 178 uh, unbuilt aircraft in the loft. I'm building eight per year. My father passed away at 68. If I can make it to 68 in 25 years' time, I'll have done those models. Now, I do have other goals in life. Don't worry. That's not like <laughs> going to be the measure of my... My motivation is to make models and to have them on display. I think Paul Budzik is another name, a great inspiration. I'm, I mean, I'm never going to make models like he does, but he really pushes you. I started soldering because of him, and I got an Iwata RG3 mini spray gun airbrush because of him. And he's a he's a very nice guy, very helpful um, if you send him emails and stuff. And he was uh, on a podcast recently. I've mentioned that for him, it was all about the journey and not so much about the destination. For me, it's about the destination. The journey is important, but I am motivated by finishing models. I sit in my living room with all those models and I look at them and I derive pleasure from them, even if I know that what's wrong with them. So I've got to be finishing the models. And so that sort of drives me on. The, the downside of that is I will never have a magnum opus. I will never have something which I th- will think will be you know up there amongst the best because I don't have the time for that. I'm, I'm churning them out. And so you do with what you can with what you've got. And that's, that's the choice that I'm, I'm making. What about maybe not necessarily scale modelers per se, but like uh, Luke Towen or Chuck Doan or modelers that do do things either outside of your realm or don't necessarily build kits? Do you have anybody that inspires you like that? Yeah, um, I do watch Luke Towen's channel and I find the results he gets astonishing. Uh, for what he does. Uh, that is very smart. Oddly enough, um, model, what you call it model railway, which is called model railways. There's a chap called Dave Clark. But, but there are some model railroading um, YouTube channels. I have no interest in model railway. I mean, I like anything in miniature. I suppose if there was absolutely nothing else, I'd make dolls houses because things which are small are just inherently cool. So uh, yeah, model trains. People who do that really well. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. When my son was young, we got hooked on Thomas the, the tank engine. And, you know, my son loved it for the stories. And I loved it because back then it wasn't CGI. It was actually model yeah, building. Yeah. And to this day, I still have the DVDs and I, I'll watch them from time to time because their attention to detail in the scenery and the presentation or, or the work was amazing. Yeah. Actually, I've just remembered it. It's Dean Park Junction. Dean Park Junction is a, a YouTube video a channel worth looking up. He's got a great layout in his, it's a UK style layout, but from a UK perspective, it's great. Okay, so maybe John, maybe we take a maybe we take a trip over to your website and talk about some of the models that you've built in the past that have caught you know Scott and I's eye, and you know we can walk through them and and sure. Just let me just bring it a up. Little, yeah, just give a little talk, and you know specifically again the one I, I'm always you know when I look through the long list of models that you have, and you have you have a ton on there. Always drawn, and I don't know why it is, but I'm always drawn to the ones that say monogram or airfix or. <laughs> You know, some of these old brands that, you know, they don't really, they don't really see the light of day anymore. It's, it's really interesting to see, you know, someone as talented as yourself take that, you know, hunk of soap essentially and turn it into something that's, you know, outstanding. And again, I, I want to highlight your consolidated Catalina. She is, she is beautiful and, you know, probably one of the best I've ever seen. And, and to take that kind of kit and turn it into that, and then also the color pattern you used, it's its really amazing. Can you maybe just talk a little bit about that build? What what drove you to it and kind of what, what was your vision and, and were you able to execute on the vision that you had? Sure. I mean, my approach to modeling is a little bit unusual. I'm, I'm a one model at a time guy. I don't have a shelf of doom. Uh, I have finished everything which I have started. Nothing's gone in the you. bin. I used to have a fairly rigid, you know, I keep a very uh, complicated Excel spreadsheet, which 
tracks everything I'm doing. And so the order in which they were bought was the order in which they were built. And that has long gone out of the window and I try and chop and change. But eventually, you know, that model's just been kicking around in the stash for a long time and it's been there the longest. So it becomes its turn to build. There's nothing more behind it than that. And it's a, it's a big model. And I was aware of some of the inaccuracies in the kit. So Belcher bits, that's right, have um, made a resin tail to correct what's perceived to be a problem with the, the kit tail. If anyone knows anything about Catalina, it's obviously got a tricycle undercarriage. It's a struggle to get it on its nose anyway. And then I was going to stick this, I mean, it's a hefty piece of resin. It's not solid. It is hollow, but on the on the rear end. So I wanted to do that to make, I do like to make my models as accurate as I can within reason. I'm not going to invest too much time or, or money into it, but if I can do it, I will attempt it. So it simply became its turn to build that model. And that was the main change which was going to be made to it. I mean, I spent a lot of time researching that particular scheme because it does come within the kit, but it's very inaccurate. This is what we were talking about earlier, the value of Google. And you can find mm-hmm. photos of the real thing, start making your own decisions. They might be wrong, but you can at least, you know, you've made your decision and you can justify why you've made it. And so there are all kinds of little things that need to be made like that huge, there's a huge football antenna over the canopy that that mm-hmm. needs to be added. Uh, other various um, bits and pieces. So yes, that took about three months to get together, which for me is a, a long project. The main issue was fairing that resin tail in, which it was a bit rough and then uh, having to sort the surface detail out, which I wasn't happy with. I have a philosophy of, you know, you, you do it and then you don't redo it too many times because otherwise mm-hmm. you get bogged down and I need to get the project finished and moved on to the next one. So a fair amount of aftermarket in it. And of course, in the end, although I'd stuck loads of weight in the nose and been balancing it carefully throughout construction, when the final pieces were attached, it just, in fact, it didn't so much sit on its tail as just the main undercarriage collapsed it just couldn't take the weight it weighs oh. nearly a kilogram i think so that's why in the photographs it's um all on a on a stand so yes i don't know if that answered your question or not but the philosophy behind my articles is it's not necessarily so much about how things are done although i do approach that sometimes mm-hmm. but i do want to provide an interesting article for someone that wants to know something about how to make that model in terms of replicating the subject so there's quite a lot in there in terms of if you want to make it like the photograph mm-hmm. you'll need to do this you'll need to do that again that's what we were talking in terms of the value of forums earlier. That's one thing which I am trying to do. So if you're interested in making an accurate Catalina, I don't have a definitive answer to that. But here maybe are some pointers along the way or things to look out for or that you might want to consider if you were going to approach it with the same sort of philosophy. So for our listeners, um, you can see John's work over on his website, which is John Bryan, J-O-N-B-R-Y-O-N.com. He's got blog posts and also articles on all of these aircraft that we'll be talking about. And then John, I, I just wanted to, you know, your Catalina was actually the first one when I started to know who John was. Um, right. I had seen, I think I had seen your builds before, but following along on the construction on that was fascinating. And like you said, the two areas of the model where I probably would have bailed, I'm just going to be completely <laughs> honest, but you managed to get through not only the tail, but through that canopy and and make the canopy work. And I mean, you planned and then you ran into a wall, then you backed up and you plan and then you just, you eventually just said, I'm doing this. And, And it's amazing how it turned out. Thank you. That's very kind of you indeed. I do appreciate the compliments. One thing I do, if I can, on a project is to try something new. You can't do it all the time. But on that one, I tried soldering for the first time, which was a bit of a revelation in terms of using etched metal. And, you know, I don't claim to be good at it at all. But uh, that's definitely something worth learning or having a go at. And then the other thing was the mar. The, the, there are no decals on that model. It's all masked. And I've, I've done that before, but uh, I tried more complicated things than I, than I tried before on that particular one. 
Yeah, the wheel wells stuck out to me. Uh, you know, your solder work, and it's crisp. It looks really good, and night and day above what was provided in the kit. So I think you can, uh, you know, hang your hat high after after completing that one because, oh, man, I see more of those in stashes than finished. So kudos <laughs> it's to big. you. Yeah, it's big. <laughs> I think there does come a point where, I mean, I wouldn't buy that again. There comes a point where um, just because of size, plastic begins to have its limits. Like the undercarriage yeah. collapsed on that. Lots of other people's haven't. That's probably my problem. I have built a 148 scale Hercules many, many years ago. And mm-hmm. just keeping the centerline seam stuck together under the weight of the wings is a challenge. Oh, yeah, that's a good they point. It just become limits of the material, really. Right, right. I saw the but what is that lead shot and epoxy you put in yeah. the uh, in the PBY as well. So yeah, a lot of it. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it looks great. And you know when I when I look at other builds, you know I even like you know going to the uh, the monogram hind, sticking with our with our friendly brand monogram. Seeing what you could do with that kit again is very inspiring. You know, taking something that's looks like it's been carved out of a bar of soap and, you know, turning it into uh, it's just a really sweet model. And I love the scheme on it too. Thank you. So, I mean, that's one aspect again of my website is I, it's warts and all. So that was built mm-hmm. in 1997. I didn't know what I'm doing. And I'm, <laughs> I, you know, that that's, a t- in my view, that's a terrible model. But the point of the website partly for me, and this is, the website is entirely for me. It's not for anyone else, is to chart the progress. So it starts in 1994 and it looks terrible. Hopefully it progresses over time. Yeah, it took a lot longer than someone joining the hobby might do now. Just as we talked earlier, it took a lot longer to figure things out back then. But, you know, I'm not ashamed to put those models up there. So I, I, I don't think that's any good now. But, you know, that's where I was uh, 25 years ago. Part of it is for me charting that journey, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of value. I really do think there's a lot of value in that approach and documenting your builds and seeing the journey and watching as you as your work progresses. And, and then, like you said, it's kind of a dynamic, you know, what inspires you and how you see your builds that constantly changes. And so you can, you can see that documented in your photos. So yeah. that's terrific. I mean, the reason the website came about is it was the end of 2004. I just finished my PhD dissertation and was awaiting the oral examination. And I was exhausted from that. And I took a month out and thought, I, I need to do something during this month. So I thought, you know, I'll write a website. And again, back there, it was you learn HTML4 and CSS and wrote a website. And it looked substantially different to how it does now and started photographing the models, which I built up until that point and writing a very brief paragraph on them usually. The, the thinking behind it largely was A, to, to learn that, how to do that. But B, um, I knew I was going to go and live in China. That was what the plan was. I wasn't going to be able to look at these models where I was living. They were stuck in my parents' loft or somewhere. And so I wanted to be able to see them wherever I was. So it became a virtual showcase. That's when I said earlier, it's, it's for me, that's what its fundamental reason is. Even the articles are, I like reading them back sometimes to remind myself of what I did um, and of a certain time in life. And so it becomes a virtual showcase showcase for me. Yeah, that's a great point. I would like to talk about your AH-64DI, the Israeli uh, Hasegawa Apache yeah. that you did. And uh, I know from a few people that have built that kit that it can result in a great model like yours did, but you earn it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that has an cast conversion set, which, you know, the, the quality on that is is mixed, but it's pretty good. I guess this is the closest I get to armor modeling in a way. I think I would like to approach helicopters more as armor subjects. I haven't had the nerve to do it yet, but I think people who make really good helicopters and finish them really well do approach them a bit more like tanks, to be honest, than um, than aircraft. But uh, yeah, thank you. I, I, I built that alongside... What I do sometimes is to 
make things a bit more efficient is I batch build. So I had two AH64s in my stash and I built them alongside each other. So I, it's not necessarily I build one kit at a time. It's um, one project at a time, I suppose. Nice. You know, one of the other ones that caught my eye, just because it's it's probably massive, is the ICM uh, 48 scale uh, Fox Bat. I mean, yeah. that thing is a beast. Yeah, that is a great looking aircraft. I don't think I'd appreciated how good looking an aircraft it is until I built one. And that's a, there's a big difference sometimes between seeing something in two dimensions and three dimensions. And I've never seen a fox bat in real life. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed making that. And again, you know, you're taking, and correct me if I'm wrong, I I don't think the ICM kit is the greatest out Uh, there. No, it's actually pretty good. No, it is the best. It's the best Foxbat out there. It has some engineering quirks. ICM have really come on a long way in the last few years. And um, I think their engineering has improved even since that one. That has some very odd engineering decisions in it. But it's essentially accurate. And yeah, it was a a pleasure to put together. So yeah, no, that's a good model. You know, I love the undercarriage. I love the underside and the way you weathered it. The one thing that kind of stands out to me, and maybe this is why I don't build aircraft that much, how many decals did you have to put on this thing? All those yeah. little stencils. Holy cow. Yeah, I love I love decals. Um, <laughs> and I love stencils. And I've built a lot of MIGs in recent years, and they all had, yeah. not all of them, a lot of them had um, specialized stencil she- uh, sheets or sets from a company called Be- Begemot. I don't know how to pronounce it. They're out of okay. Russia. They do fantastic decal sheets. The instructions are hard work. But uh, yeah, bazillions of stencils on a lot of those MIGs. And I love it. For me, I look at tanks and think, why would you ever do the tracks? But some people <laughs> love it, don't they? <laughs> well, I mean, but you know, it's it's interesting you say that. These little things really make, without them, it's, it's a gray aircraft. But you know when you when you start and you get close and you see all of them and it really draws your eyes to different panels, different even different weathering areas that you've achieved. I mean, it really sets the character of the model, and I I think they're absolutely fantastic. It, it looks. That is very cool. Yeah, I mean, I will say, I still my modeling style is pretty slapdash in some ways, and I I don't like weathering. I I don't enjoy it. It's it's probably the part of the modeling which I enjoy the least. So sometimes I have to grip my teeth and do a <laughs> bit more. And it's the th- the area in which if you were to say, what do you need to grow? And I say, I need to grow in the quality of my um, weathering. But f- for me, it's the bit I want to get past. The bit I enjoy is is um, the bodywork. Oddly enough, I I love removing seams. For me, it's all about doing the the bodywork. See, I'd build tank tracks all day long and uh... not fill. Not fill seams and rescribe <laughs> panel lines. So. I love filling seams. I used to hate it, and I'm convinced it's about getting the right materials. And once you've got the right materials, it becomes a joy. So, so let's talk about that. You know, I'm I'm an amateur aircraft modeler, and I'm I'm sure a lot of our listeners are curious to hear this. One of the biggest things when building an aircraft is that ghost seam on the fuselage. So when yep. you're when you're putting that fuselage together, what what type of material, like you said, adhesive, bonding agent, otherwise, what are you using that you prefer to give you that therapeutic release in life? And yeah, so I have a very I have a very controversial answer to that question. Ghost seams are the bane of modeling in general, I think, but particularly yeah. aircraft modelers. And I used to get so frustrated. You know, fifteen years ago, I was making models with Revel Contact cement, which is a pretty horrible cement to use, really, in retrospect. And you'd get rid of the seam you'd sand it all out and then like a month later you just have this groove where before there yeah. was nothing then i moved to tamiya extra thin and that was better but it still often left the ghost seam and, and i in the end again i was largely in isolation i was just thinking well maybe this is just what people have to live with maybe you can't get rid of it <laughs> and maybe when people say they're removing seams they just are left with a ghost seam and of course, I've subsequently discovered that that was incorrect. But the way I solve it, and I've been doing this for about 10 years now, and I don't recommend anyone else does this because you take your life into your own hands when you do, but it's just to use super glue. I use super glue ah. for all my major joints. So when I'm putting a fuselage half together, it's with super glue. You know, that's a high risk, high reward strategy. You don't get any adjustment opportunities. You put the glue right. on, you stick it together. Um, one and done. 
Yeah, I'm very happy with the methodology. Again, superglue is a very marmite. Oh, I don't know if that makes much sense in the US context. We have a phrase in the UK, which is a marmite thing. Marmite is this stuff you can buy to put on bread or whatever. And I think it tastes disgusting. And you either love it or you hate it. Yeah. And so when there's a, a thing which you either love or you hate, we say it's a marmite thing. Superglue is like that, I think. The people always say oh, it just dries or cures so hard you can't sand it, you can't rescribe it. And it is tough to rescribe. I've been, for years now, been using a thick superglue by Everbuild. You just buy it on Amazon. It's like a thick okay. superglue. I've never found that it sets particularly hard. I can go back to it three days later and still sand oh, it. It's nice. almost different to the plastic. That's my experience. And then, of course, people are doing the same thing now with the black superglue, which has been about for decades, but it's become popular because yeah. Ammo and VMS make it or whatever. And that's great I stuff too. Yeah, very good. Sometimes if you use a thin superglue, they, that can set really rock hard. I did that yes. on my uh, Edward I-16 and uh, I used that for some reason. That was a mistake. It was very difficult to sound out. It is still difficult to rescribe, that is true. The other thing you can add is VMS make something called CA glue filler, which is like powder. Hmm. Oh, and you okay. can mix that with thick CA and it becomes more like a putty. Okay. Now, it, it can produce bubbles, which you then have to deal with later on, but it is much easier to sand and you can scribe it quite easily, which is a lovely material. So yes, I'll, for any any joint where I know the seam is going to need to be removed and I don't want to go seam, I'll be using super glue. Uh, for things like wings to fuselages, where usually you want to retain some sort of panel line, then Tamiya Extra Thin is absolutely fine. But um, yeah, I'm a big believer in super glue and it has the added advantage of it just speeds everything up. Do you ever have problems with seams popping though? Because you're not actually bonding the plastic? No, I never have. Doesn't mean I won't have a problem, but the stresses on them are usually not that great in my experience. Sometimes I might reinforce it from the inside, but generally uh, I get away with uh, the super glue. That's awesome. I do I'm, use quite I mean, a lot of it. I mean, I'm very generous with it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that means a lot of sanding, but I love sanding. Once you discover Infini sanding products, and I've got all of them, they're just amazing. You're away. It's a joy to do it. Nice. Now, do you use any accelerator when you are when you have super glue or are you pressure fit? it and then you just kind of let it cure on its own and you reattack maybe a day later or an hour later or what, what are your thoughts on that yeah i rarely use accelerator because it can okay. be a little bit unpredictable sometimes but i do use it but usually it's yeah. just stick the super glue on and stick it together obviously i've done quite a lot of dry fitting up to that point and i have various clamps around and i want to make sure it goes together as well as it it can but um yeah ga- gaps don't bother me because the super glue does do such a great job in my opinion of um filling but as I say, if you decide to use this method, you do so at your own risk. I'm not going to accept responsibility for whether it works for you or not, because other people hate the stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. But you know, I, I agree with you. Try to minimize the use of accelerator because sometimes it does create plastic depending yeah. on the manufacturer, yeah. and it can um, warp and bubble the super glue as well sometimes. Yeah. And it might it might take a, if um, if the gap's big, then it might take several applications of super glue to smooth it out. One of the big things I think I wrote a little article about this in my blog is um, back in the day, materials just took forever to uh, filler, took forever to dry or cure enamel paints took forever to to dry and nowadays we live in a in an age where these materials you can use them and then you can be going in minutes no for sure i mean hell tj on our squad he he can start a model and finish it in the same day and that includes glue paint wash and weather so it's it's really amazing how fast you can work i I really need to wait for anything probably decals is the thing that you need to wait for the most Mm -hmm. Continuing on the theme of understanding aircraft modeling, I'd love to know about, you know, when you're, you know, you love superglue and superglue's arch nemesis is clear parts. So when you're working with clear parts, you know, are you using, you know, stationary white glue or, or what type of adhesive are you using to attach those to the model? 
uh, Tamiya Extra Thin or really? uh, Guns That's Mr. Smith. Yeah, now that is. And again, <laughs> I, I don't accept any responsibility if it doesn't work for you because, uh, as you know, the, the whole point of Tamiya Extra Thin is it's extra thin and that means it ends yeah. up going to places where sometimes you rather it wouldn't go. If you're on the outside, you can get away with it. It's when it goes up the inside and wicks in between your windscreen yeah. and your instrument panel or something like that. So you have to use it extremely sparingly. But yeah. the one thing I never, ever want is a canopy or a clear part coming adrift later on. Right during construction or painting. Tamiya Extra Thin will just bond it. It will bond it. Yeah. and it will. It's not coming off once it's on. And it works on vac form canopies as well. But of course, I have the, again, oddity that um, in order to speed things up and because I prefer the aesthetic, all of my aircraft are now built with closed canopies and I close uh, as much as I can. Air brakes, I want closed unless they're normally out as an accuracy issue. I don't open panels. I don't hang ordnance unless I feel I have to because life's too short. And I want to move on. And yeah. I like the aesthetic of the. Uh, there's that uh, Chris Becker, isn't there, on SMCG, who's always angling for things to be built with um, wheels up. Yeah, right. I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate that. If I could, if there was some magic way of suspending them <laughs> invisibly, then yeah, gear up would be the way to go. But uh, I can't be bothered with pilots and I can't be bothered with making undercarriage doors fit either. Yeah, there, you know, there's something to be said about a clean aircraft. I, I, I love aircraft. Sometimes I like them, you know, slung with every bomb, but I feel like, you know, a fighter or. You know, some of the ones that have just really good lines, they deserve to be, you know, pristine and, and without without ordnance in my mind, just because just they look so good as an engineering marvel. I mean, the Fox well, Bat is one of them. It's, it's yeah. a gorgeous looking airplane. Well, John, one thing we haven't really spoken about too much is um, airbrushing. And I want to talk about one of your recent builds um, that really highlights your airbrush work. And that's the, your uh, Edward Polycarpov I-16, the Type 10 that you did uh, recently. Uh, just a beautiful build. Uh, where did you uh, kind of get the inspiration for that? And, uh, you know, what's your airbrushing technique like? As I said earlier, I only build post-World War II aircraft. And I do have a particular fascination because that means there are certain aircraft which I don't get to make. But some of them bled over after World War II and sought operational use afterwards. And the I-16 is a good example of that. You know, It's a 1930s aircraft, which the Spanish were still flying in the late 1940s. So I really enjoy opportunities to build those sorts of aircraft. The inspiration to make that came because of uh, just making conversation. And I think you guys participated, didn't you? We had that whole builder 48-scale aircraft yeah. in 48 mm -hmm. hours. And I can't participate in those sort of things live but I thought that's a good idea I'll see if I can do that and the i16 in my stash I thought well it's small so maybe I could do it in 48 hours yeah that was a complete mistake there was no way that was getting done in 48 hours <laughs> I, I tried you know it needed a new spine rebuilt out of super glue and plastic card because it's wrong it needed a new canopy it's a vac form windscreen because the one in the kit is wrong it needed some the ailerons needed rescribing. Re there was quite a lot of work that went into it so I spent a couple of days working on it then it slowed down the scheme because obviously people who are listening can't see it is dark green and sand sort of color and it's not really a mottle it's more of a dendritic pattern of green over the the sand color which i decided to freehand with an airbrush now i'm embarrassed to be saying how anybody should do anything because it's not particularly good but for what it's worth yeah, yes it is <laughs> for what it's for what it's worth i mean it's obviously a small aircraft you can hold it in the palm of your hand very easily it's a, a water custom micron b so yeah. it's a 0.18 meter needle i use lacquer paints almost exclusively i think that's a mixture of hataka and mr color maybe some mrp in there as well thin it as much as i can get away with and then just spraying very very fine i still have an issue with lacquers is occasionally they will spit 
you'll just get this like random little spit of paint come out, which is must be my issue. But I'm not a particularly skilled airbrusher, and I'm doing it just by trial and error. I couldn't tell you what pressure I'm spraying at, and I couldn't tell you how thin the paint is. All I can say is thin. And um, yeah, just go at it bit by bit. I think some people sometimes approach airbrushing and think they've got to do the whole thing in one go. But actually, you can just... Do it bit by bit, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, half an hour here, half an hour there, you go back to it. The airbrush isn't going to go anywhere. The paint's not going anywhere. So it took a long time to do that. And, you know, I, uh, recent years, I've had to start wearing an Optivisor sort of thing. With the naked eye, it looks good. You put an Optivisor on and you think, yeah, it looks not as good as it does. But hey, I don't wear glasses normally. So actually, the naked eye is what counts for me. It looks like you've got some bl- uh, blending done post airbrush work too. Did you um, airbrush the base coat or did you do filters or you know, how did you uh, kind of reduce the contrast of those two colors when you were finished? Yes. I'm trying to remember. I wrote an article in this for Scale Aircraft Modeling, actually, and uh, it was all written down in there. A lot of it is a streaking product. So it's sort of a filter. Uh, I think it's an AK one. I can't remember which one it is. And I like to sort of um, brush that on fairly neat and then take a dampen brush and then move it around the surface. Some of it is the AK interactive pencils around the nose area where the gun bulges are. So I do like to use those sort of products and also oil paints. I usually give it a wash at some point and maybe a slight filter. But as I said, I'm not really into weathering. It's something I approach very haphazardly without too much vision or forethought. So I could do better. <laughs> well, I, I I think it's a great model. It really Thank catches you. the eye. Now, are those markings, are those decals or are they, uh, are they stenciled airbrush markings? Yeah, they're all stenciled apart from the number on the tail fin, which is a decal. And unfortunately, not quite the right font. Yeah, I learned some important lessons with because the Spanish uh, national insignia are circles. I didn't, they're not as circular as they should be. And I've learned some lessons about how to improve that in the future. But yeah, they're painted on. Uh, that's incredible. Well, John, uh, any more questions? I cannot believe we have been talking for 90 <laughs> minutes man what a great conversation well it's very easy to talk when people are very skilled at making conversation so thank you very much indeed for that yeah feel free to visit my website i do have a couple of thoughts on there particularly about the productivity thing which is something which sort of interests me because it's a perennial topic on modeling sites and on the podcasts obviously is how can people improve their output one thing i would say is i think it's very easy to offer advice on that but everyone is so different everyone's personalities are so different and, and so much of it is personality dependent. I have a particular methodology. I have a particular personality. And so I do what suits me and it would not suit other people. So I think if people are going to take advice, they need to make it fit with what they want and who they are. People often talk about things like palette cleansers and changing genre and scale and stuff. That does not work for me. I am not interested. If I need yeah. a quick, if I need a quick build, I build a single engine prop. You know, I can get it done in a month. And I, as you look at, as you look at the website, there's quite a wide variety of color schemes that just keeps me going. You know, I could build something which is white, completely white, and then something which is multicolored camouflage. So there's enough variety for me there. People who are interested in building more, I think if you take a deliberate approach to it, it you can um, really make a difference but who am I talking to I mean John Bonani he's pretty prolific isn't he I mean mean, he's no TJ Holler but he's pretty close (laughs) well that's what you've got I don't see enough models made by you Scott I don't know if it's because I'm looking in the wrong place but are you posting that many Uh, it's a combination of I don't post a lot but I you know I have a one-to-one scale podcast that I do yeah that's what I was going to say I'm sure this takes takes a lot of time yeah yeah yeah, exactly well um if you don't mind uh, what's on the bench right now a super 
Aquamarine Walrus made by Airfix. So at the moment, I'm doing a little series of all the float planes in my collection. So I did uh, Grum and Duck back in the autumn. This will be uh, an Airfix kit. Airfix obviously is a company with a reputation at the moment. Again, you might say a Marmite product. This is one of the, meant to be one of their better ones, but I got the second boxing and the molding is rough. Actually, it's very rough, but the surface detail is good. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm a month in. It will be done by the end of February. Then after that, it's a Russian Berry FB4 by a company called Mars Model, which don't get enough love, but that the molding on that looks fantastic. That's a Russian float plane. I look forward to seeing that for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, John, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Uh, again, uh, you can see his work at johnbryan.com, J-O-N-B-R-Y-O-N.com. Do you have any other social media sites where uh, you show your work? No, I mean, it is on Facebook as well. I think it's John's Models, something like that. I don't really post there. It's just a duplication of what's on the website in terms of photos. I just... You know, I'm all about the building, the website, and I do write some articles for scale aircraft modeling now, taking up enough of my time. I don't, I don't particularly want to be taking more photographs and spending more time on social media. I would love to if I had the time. If people do visit my website, I apologize. It is a bit slow. I'm not really into the technical side of those things anymore, but it gets there in the end. And uh, I'm always trying to improve my photography. Need still to learn quite a lot on that. Well, you're a great modeler. Um, really like your blog post as well. You have some good insight. We'd love to have you on again. This has been a great conversation keep sending us feedback we really really appreciate the interactions with you and uh, you know thanks again well the pleasure is entirely mine so thank you very much indeed for asking me i feel very privileged and honored and uh, yeah i would say encourage anyone out there if, um anyone can make models like i do absolutely no problem at all i admire well, the people who have the real art, artistic vision they're, they're the guys who are, are really inspirational the ones i mentioned earlier jb thanks for joining us and uh, john you take care yeah thank you very much indeed Thank you. Cheers, John. This was great. Don't so yeah, nice to meet you. Thanks a lot. And um, yeah, we'll be in touch at some point and I'll try and find some more controversial things. Maybe really controversial. <laughs> modeling and class, modeling and education, modeling that's, and religion. Right. No, I don't know. We won't go there. But. <laughs> Well, that was a really good interview. John is an absolutely fantastic aircraft modeler, and it's really interesting to get an insight into his perspective of the hobby. Um, He'll be at Telford. He will. Oh, he's he going to Telford. I, I wow. fully expect to see his builds. I really want to. Yes. It's nothing like seeing someone's built in person. So, Doug, what do we have for our discussion point for this episode? Oh, well, I want to talk about the uh, reach and the uh, positivity and the camaraderie that has been mentioned of the posse itself. Not us, not us on the podcast, but all of those of us who support us and who actually make such a big impact on us, especially in social media. About a week ago from the time of this uh this airing, I placed an update on the Posse Facebook page and asked for feedback on what to do uh, to improve from the final 5% perspective. I was working on, I'm still working on the 48 scale Tamiya Achilles. And the response was amazing. I couldn't believe how much positive criticism I got. I mean, it, it was, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't think about, I didn't know about that people uh, made recommendations on. I've never asked for feed like, feedback like that before. And so it was kind of cool. I'll admit, I was not close to, um, I, I really, the last 20% of this model is the last 5% if that makes any sense. It seems like I'm putting a lot of time into, into doing this stuff and I'm having a blast. I'm not complaining because it's really, really cool. 
So I ask what I can do and I get Jesse Naughton giving me like a laundry list of things that I could do to improve that kit. And so I've been working on some of that stuff. It, like bring more contrast to the running gear, tone down the tarps, adjust the color and sheen of those tarps. Brackets for the spare wheels that are on the front, um, things like that. Stowage was a big thing from a lot of the guys and, and it without a doubt needed it. Malk, Luke, Ed, Johan, a bunch of others chimed in. Weathering and colors. Uh, Cliff Herring recommended I named it Mayberry. Smart ass. John Murphy, Spud, asked about the headlights and guards, which aren't even on the, the instructions, so they're left off. But I think I will include them because I think they belong, even though even, even on the box art, it's not there. So I was able to find those on the spruce and I'll keep going. So I did some some of the things they re, they recommended. I post an update the next day and I get more feedback and suggesting now take it this much farther, do this much work. And um, I got, hey, paint the fire extinguisher from Cody Kaczynski. Spud actually got on there and started adding pictures of those fire extinguishers. So I had a, a base to work from different colors, different levels of weathering. And it's just been, it's just been a blast. So to everybody that's, that's helped me, everybody that's given me recommendations, thumbs up and thank you so much. So my question for you other guys is what experiences have you had in interacting with the posse that has had a positive effect on your modeling and your experience? Yeah. Thanks for that, Doug. That's a really interesting topic. I'd love to hear what TJ has to say about it. Yeah, so obviously, uh, I mean, just being here and with you guys and then with this awesome community that sprung up around our podcast, I mean, it's made me just a better better modeler, I think. It, uh, it encourages me, which is, you know, I mean, I'm encouraged to, to build more. And if you build more, you get better. Is The more you finish kits, the, the more you can improve because you can improve with each one. One time specifically, and I had to go look up who it was because I couldn't remember who it was. And now I now I do remember. And this was a little while ago. This was right before, a little bit before Nats. When I was working on my CNT Militia Woman bust, um, I posted a picture after I painted her eyes. It was the first thing I painted on the model because the eyes are very important. And I thought they were really cool. I thought I did a pretty good job. And Jamie Stokes gave me some very good feedback, which I then followed through with and um, about just changing a simple thing with, with how I painted the eyes and I agreed and I repainted them and they were way better because of that. I just, I, I, when I saw Doug's question, I was like, I remember exactly that happening, but I just could not for the life of me fear, remember who it was. So I went back and looked and it was Jamie. So thank you, Jamie. Uh, that's just one example. I mean, on top of just the other, the mostly positive feedback I get for when I post my work in, in the group. And I mean, it's just hearing that you're doing a good job makes you feel like you're doing a good job, which then I think makes you better kind of it's, it's, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, but yeah, it's been amazing. Cool. Grant, do you have any experiences you'd like to share? Yeah, I would, um, I would have to say, before I actually joined the posse itself, um, I built a uh, Kuba wagon conversion last year, year before, and I posted it to Scott. Scott was, you know, helping me out with a few things and Scott recommended some very key things I missed, you know, oil coming out of one of the hubs, stuff like that. You know, where the drain plug is on the side of the vehicle, there should be a little bit of fuel mark on there. Things like that have always been very, you know, it's very positive and very, like you said, it's it's positive criticism, I guess you would say. Uh, and it's been always worked for me. Um, I've had fantastic help from Brian Kruger. Uh, you know, uh, he's, you know, helped me with STL files. He's helped me with uh, looking at different subjects. Um, I tell you what, if you ever have a chance to see, it's just, I think it's an SU-76, the conversion the Russians did with the Panzer III. Um, if you ever have a chance to see his vehicle version of that, it's 
phenomenal. And we were at nationals walking around the, the tables together. And he's like, oh yeah, there's the kid I use. You should get that. And I was like, oh gosh, yeah. And jumped on it right there. But you know, overall, the feedback we get is, is very positive and it's it's always meant in a good way. And I, I, I always want to make sure that I do the same for when people ask me, you know, and they ask the group, you know, what can I do? What can I change? And, you know, keep it as a, you know, start it with a positive. You start it with a positive. You say, hey, this looks really good and you should do this and this and this. And But that's what I think. That, that is awesome. Um, Scott's a good guy and he'll help you any anytime he gets a chance. Ivan, how about yourself? Yeah, I remember when we were doing the M3, M4 group build and I was doing the Russian Lend-Lease M3. I wasn't exactly sure about how to weather it and because uh, I bought the Voyager set about how damaged it would be and certain. I wanted to do a, a night shift-esque build where it wasn't just out of the box. And I posted a picture where I'd added the the main uh, gun to it, but it was um, I bought the wrong gun for the wrong kit. It was too long but luckily, uh, Jesse Norton, uh, he's someone who said, right, so this gun's too long for the exact version you're doing, but went out of his way to find me black and white references of like a vehicle that had that sort of gun, the right sort of tracks, even some battle damage that I wanted to model on it. The, the turret on the top had a certain uh, casting bulge. So he it, it, it was a massive help in me being able to create the, the kit I was doing to a real-life reference rather than make some amalgamation of lots of references. And it's stuff like that. I've noticed the community that we've got around us aren't shy in helping. If you need help, they'll they'll do everything they can. They'll go out the way. They'll, when they should be doing stuff themselves, they'll drop everything they're doing to uh, it's like right. I'm going to help you with your build now. And it, it's it's like something Grant said. Like the first time I spoke to him, pay it forward. They'll help you. You help other people. Um, and so my my part's quite a short part. But yeah, I've just noticed we've got an incredibly helpful, selfless community that. Let's stop at nothing to, to help each other and make each other feel really good about the modeling. Yeah. Mine really builds on that for, you know, I always go back to a good quote and, and I feel like my parents told me this, you know, surround yourself with good people. And if you surround yourself with good people, they're going to elevate you. And that's exactly what the community is uh, for the hobby for me is good people, um, you know, good characters. And, you know, when it comes down to help, you know, I find that I actually get the most out of learning through seeing someone's work and then really going in and asking them questions on how they did it. Good example, Ian Bonner, another great modeler that we talk about a lot, part of the Quark Posse group. You know, he has really elevated his game recently, but I think some of his 4BO finishes and then the pigment and dust work that he's doing on the at the end of his builds is, I'm talking world-class uh, and I'm not even trying to blow smoke. Uh, I think TJ and Ivan would agree that that, that guy, kid, he's, he's, you know, another rising star. And it's, it's really cool to be able to have that and openly talk about it, get that feedback on how he's doing it, you know, share pictures, share results. And another two, I got to throw them out there, you know, Grizz and Jackson, another two great examples of rising stars in the, in the hobby, incredibly engaging, incredibly positive, incredibly helpful. And it's, it's interesting, you know, this is, this is going to sound strange and I'd be curious to hear other people that I have a lot of modeling books and there's a lot of great people in those modeling books, but I have found that the people that I've engaged with through the community online, in person, I've actually learned more from them than the pros in the books. And that might sound crazy, but I have gotten so much more out of a, a conversation and seeing their work either in person or online and it's, it's been so much more valuable than reading a book. Now, don't get me wrong. The, the titans that are in those books have unbelievable work, but maybe it goes to show just 
you know, connecting and, and learning in a different manner, either as opposed to a more academic approach, but more of a practical approach has been very, you know, very good for my development. Uh, you know, I've, I feel that I've pushed a lot of skills because of the people in our group. You know, another example I'll throw out there, Aaron Cook, he's bu- building the, uh, the Mel and he's got this wicked sweet patina, the legs with, it's got rust. It's got the, the splashes that TJ helped him with and told him to, you know, bump up the dirt on it. So those are the type of conversations. Daniel Brooker's another one, Spud, who has sent over countless photographs. You know, the name, the list honestly goes on and on, but I have found that that has been much more valuable and, you know, show tangible progress with those types of conversations, those engagements, as I would with my traditional books. I actually haven't opened a lot of them in a while because I'm getting, I'm getting my fix from online. And I don't know if anybody else has that feeling. Yeah. Um, another note is like, uh, we, we mentioned Ian, the dust he did on his tiger that we, we all saw at the Nats. We all loved how he did it. So what did he do? He, he did a video of exactly how he did it. Exactly. It's, and I learned more from that video than I, I've wanted to know how to do dust effects for ages. I've looked through many books and then one five minute video from me. And it's like, right, I get it. It makes sense. And it's like the kids we've mentioned, uh, Zach and Jackson. <laughs> They're really good because I'll be, when I was their age, three years ago, I'll be, I'll, I'll fully admit, back when I was a wee lad, um, I was really bad at taking advice. So with those, if you give them advice or help, they actually take it on and roll with it and work with it and actually take it on board. It's like one of those quotes I, I think about a lot. Don't take criticism from someone you won't take advice from. I think that goes a lot when it comes to modeling as well. So without sounding at all rude or obnoxious or whatever, but in the hobby, I will t- only take advice from some uh, criticism of my work from someone I would ask for advice. Well, you know what? I was I was thinking while JB was talking about the people that that we learn from and it, it, that are so much of you are on social media. And some of you actually have written books like the Sam Dwyer, who reminded me on this Achilles that I missed a lifting eye on the right side of the uh, turret. And he wasn't wrong. So I will be running with that and adding a lifting eye to the right side of the turret. One more question. What do we do when we see something that is so amazing? How do we take what could be intimidating and yet let it be inspirational instead? I mean, I'll kick us off. Classic example, Night Shift. I mean, everything he does is inspirational and sometimes downright intimidating, especially if it was water. But, you know, that's that's just one example of many, I think, that he, the way he lays it out, again, I think it comes down to the community as well and the encouragement that your friends are doing. Like, I can't tell you how many times someone has posted either in the group or a private chat, like, oh, I'm thinking about doing this, but it's really crazy and I don't know how I'm going to pull it off. And I think everyone literally echoes the same STFU, get at it, do it and crush it. And that's just, I think that's just the mentality that I take a lot of times too. You just got to try it. Well, I'm going to jump in and say, I think, uh, you know, JB said night shift. I, I I like Rick Lauer. I'm a big fan of his. Um, I think he's, you know, he's, he's a fantastic model builder and his style of model building really resonates big with me. He's very professional over the way he's a super nice guy. I've never met him in my life, but I know JB and Scott met him up in Seattle last year. And what I've heard is just, just as nice as he is uh, as he is uh, on the videos. Uh, another thing I like about him is he's jumping around. He's a fantastic armor builder. In my opinion, one of the best. But he's also doing Warhammer stuff now. Odds and ends. He's doing buildings. He's making colorful things. And it's just seeing that and the community that he's bringing around himself now is very positive and very fun to be around. You know, I'm, you know, I'm sorry 
sorry to be a fanboy, Rick, but you know, you, you're one of the one big reasons I'm back in the hobby. Because a couple of years ago, I, or about four or five years ago, I was out of the hobby and I saw your uh, Russian tractor you did on your on YouTube. And that was the only video you posted for a long time. And that, that four or five part video kept me going for a long time. So that's what I like about it. And maybe another point is shows themselves. I mean, you can point to the IPMS Nationals as one where there's countless things on the table that are incredibly intimidating. I mean, you look at Greg Salar's dioramas, some of the sci-fi work that was there. Honestly, the the scratch build cruiser ship that, that the California gentleman does, again, something that's totally intimidating. But when you sit there and you can look at it and just try not to get overwhelmed in a sense, maybe, and, and pick it apart piece by piece. You know, start with, I don't know, how, how the base coat looks, how the weathering is, what parts do you use to scratch build? And I think if you take it, you know, slowly, step by step, you can break it down and help process, you know, this is how I would do it and maybe help you to execute. Well, that was a good talk, guys. Now, remember, you can leave us feedback, ideas, or even hate mail, <gasps> gasp, etc. at plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. That gasp was marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as good as your moan in the end that, of the week. That gas, that gas proper threw me for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> like that? That was, uh, that was marvelous. <laughs> Please tell us about your posse experience and how the great people over on our page have inspired you, pushed you to help you improve. And remember, there's no wrong way to enjoy the hobby. So take care. And most of all, build models. I was awoken at 5 a.m. I only managed to book 30 rooms. Um, <laughs> I feel like I really missed out on an opportunity there. But they'll be for sale a week before now. <laughs> Ivan, good thing you live across the pond, because if you were here in the States, there'd be a caravan headed to your house. So Hold your horses. <laughs> whoa, whoa, Bessie. Horses. <laughs> horses. Watermelon. Watermelon. <laughs> Cantaloupe. Cantaloupe. <laughs> okay, let's see. Zucchini. <laughs> Margarita. Margarita. Grilled cheese with tomato soup. Wow. Chicken wings hold the bones. <laughs> Chicken panties. Who am I? I don't like bones in my meat. <laughs> Damn. Holy smokes. I'm Ivan, sorry, guys. Ivan we bad. need a uh, we need a Gordon Ramsay to get Doug back on track. <laughs> boy, come on, big boy. Get yourself fucking organized. <laughs> Came to the nice drover guy. with us, didn't he? Yeah. The drover. The drover. Yeah. The drover. Yeah, absolutely I keep... fantastic. <laughs>
<laughs> Scott's gonna be like, what? Happened. <laughs> he doesn't know how much of this to edit. <laughs> Just release this. I'd listen. I'd pay to listen to this. <laughs> this is what we. This is how we sound when we stream yard just in ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> this is why. You, this is why you join us. Okay. Borlami. Bonjourno. 